This is the Skeptic Squared Podcast. A safe place to make light of sacred things. My name is Matt. And I'm Corinne. And in this program, we will be discussing current events related to religion, atheism, and skepticism. Our goal is not to insult believers, although that will probably happen from time to time, but rather to share our point of view on these topics in a way which will benefit and entertain others. Or maybe we just want to stroke our own egos. You decide. Welcome to the Skeptic Squared Podcast. Today is Saturday, December 5th, 2015, and with me is my fantabulous wife, Corinne. That's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, today we will be discussing uh, how skepticism applies to religion. Uh, we'll be talking about some scientific evidence for God. We'll talk about Mormon patriarchal blessings, horoscopes, psychics, and Sylvia Brown. Um, if you would like to contact us, you can email us at skepticsquaredpodcast at gmail.com. You can also view the show's blog at www.skepticsquaredpodcast.blogspot.com and leave a comment there. If you like what you hear, please rate us and leave a review. Okay, so so to start, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, our name. So, so right now the name is Skeptic Squared. Mm-hmm. And up until this week, we had been using the name Circle Squared. And all of our old stuff is under that name. Um, we have a, a, a blog, we've got email stuff, and um, we even have a YouTube page under that name. And, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, and we, we had it all set up, and uh, we got our first, like, seven episodes up on iTunes, and everything was working great. And I submitted it to Reddit. Like, I just put a link on Reddit. Um, just to get some feedback, kind of get a little bit of publicity because uh, there's a, a couple forums like the Atheist subreddit and the Ex-Mormon subreddit um, that are kind of applicable to what we talk about. And the feedback that we got from uh, more than one person was that the name Circle Squared was a bit confusing, um, especially because Circle Squared or Squared Circle or variations of, of that um, how else do you vary those two words? Well, the, I, I could show you. <laughs> <laughs> they, they throw in more than just a, those two words. Okay. But, but there are several podcasts um, about professional wrestling, because I guess squared circle is a phrase that's common in professional wrestling with regards to like the ring or something like that. Um, so that, that's a common phrase that's used. And a lot of people that would search our podcast, Circle Squared, we're finding all of these other professional wrestling podcasts and getting confused about which one it was. And it was just hard to find. It was, it was just kind of a mess. Um, and so we took that feedback. We talked about it between us and we settled on the name skeptic squared because we felt like that was uh, kind of a good fit. Like we're both a couple of skeptics and it also makes the transition from circle squared to skeptic squared a lot easier because they're similar names. Um, so yeah and it broadens what we're going to talk about too so right exactly because like we, we said at the beginning that uh we wanted the show to be about religion atheism and skepticism and we've been focusing primarily on religion and in particular mormonism and a lot of that is just because 
we were Mormon. We uh, like that's our experience. That's what we know. And we're still in our introductory phase, phase two. So. Right. We're still kind of working out what it is what, that we want to do with this with the show and the direction we want to take it. Um. And uh, the fee- feedback that we also got from some of the other people on Reddit is that broadening it to more a more general skepticism will get us more viewers. It have a broader appeal, and and I can I can see that definitely being the case because a lot of people. I mean, there are lots of ex-Mormons out there, but there are lots of people that are interested in things other than just Mormon issues. Um, so today we have a lot of stuff to talk about with regards to skepticism, um, not focusing so much on our Mormon backgrounds, although we'll definitely be talking about that. we got a whole section on patriarchal blessings, which is super it, fun. Super fun. <laughs> <laughs> just Yeah, it's, it's kind of neat. We'll talk about that. Um, oh, do you have anything to add about the direction of the show, the name, anything like that? Nope. Okay. It's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. Um, we've been working really hard on uh, getting the label and all of the information up to date, and um, hopefully it'll all work out. Yes. So, anyway. So let's move on. Uh, that's all I got for the name and all that. Um Let's talk about how skepticism applies to religion. How do you think, Corinne, skepticism applies to religion? (laughs) Throw me for a loop. (laughs) You were just going to talk about this. How does skepticism apply to religion? Well, everyone should be skeptical of religion. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just lots of stuff that can't be explained by religion. A lot of it relies on faith. Mm -hmm. Things that can't be explained, things that aren't seen. Right. Like they, it seems that most religions and superstitions in general rely a lot on uh, the ignorance of people. They, they make these big claims about uh, what things are, where things come from, uh, how things work, and people don't investigate it. They just kind of buy into it. Maybe they offer some evidence like a miracle or something like that saying, see, we know what we're talking about. We got this this magic trick that we can do. And then they build a religion around that. And a lot of people don't don't ask the questions of, you know, if they really did do this miracle, um, does that really mean that there's they have some kind of supernatural power? Um, maybe it was some kind of trickery, um, you know. So a lot of people don't apply skepticism or skeptical skeptical thinking to religion uh, when they're in it. But a lot of people, when they start to apply skepticism, like for me, I, I, I apply skepticism in my youth to other religions, in particular, like more evangelical forms of Christianity, like the, uh, you know, the faith healers, um, the like snake handlers, people doing like uh, talking in tongues. Mm-hmm. And to me, that that stuff was all ridiculous. And, and that's really like the extent of my skepticism was just like, like you can't believe this is real. Like mm-hmm. they're obviously charlatans. They're obviously tricking people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I got older, I started thinking, you know, how do, how do these sorts of questions apply to my own beliefs? Because I was raised in a Mormon household. I grew up in Mormon culture. I went to a Mormon university. I went on a Mormon mission. And I never had any real reason to ask the hard questions of how do I really know that the Mormon church is true. So I, I started to apply my skepticism. And from there, I came to the conclusion that the Mormon ch- church um, wasn't accurate in its truth claims. The Book of Mormon wasn't a, a historical document. 
And then that just, you know, set me down the path towards atheism because, I mean, Mormons paint this picture that everything is very black and white. It's an all or nothing religion. You can't just have like the cafeteria style Catholics Mm -hmm. in Mormonism. Like it's either all true or it's all false. Mm -hmm. That's how they paint themselves. Yeah. So which when, can also paint you into a corner, which, which we've seen a lot of, and <laughs> because as soon as you discover one thing that's not real, it's like it all just crumbles. Yeah, w- w- it, which exactly. Like what happened for me. Yeah, like once it starts to chip away, exactly, it it starts to chip away, and you you apply the skepticism, you start asking more questions, you see that things don't line up the way that the church says it should line up, mm-hmm. and and it just raises more questions, brings more doubts. So, that's kind of the. I don't know how I, how I would answer the question. Do you have anything to add? No. Okay. <laughs> that was a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a complicated question. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that as more people in our day and age apply skeptical principles to their belief systems, we'll see more and more people stepping away from religion. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about it earlier. You know, skepticism is not the reason I stopped going to church. Mm-hmm. It's the reason I'll probably never go back. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on, I have an article um, that kind of ties this all together with applying skepticism to uh, religion. I have an article from, let's see, Right Wing Watch, which is a, a great little uh, website. It's www.rightwingwatch.org. And they, uh, they look at, um, you know, things that a lot of Republicans and right-wingers say, and they, they just kind of analyze it. They, they talk about how there's incongruencies or maybe there's an extreme view. Oh, yeah, there's, there's lots of fun things on the sides. Corinne's laughing at another article that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> um, so th- this particular article um, is from November 2nd of this year. It's, uh, the uh, title is Gordon Klingenschmidt has a scientific method that proves the existence of God. So Gordon Klingenschmidt, I don't know a whole lot about him, but I know he's he's an evangelist. He, he has a, a TV show or a radio show. Um, and he's just kind of a, one of those big name personalities within certain Christian groups. Um, and he claims that he has evidence of God. So I'll just read this this little section of the article. It's actually not that long of an article. You want evidence of God? He asked. I can give you evidence of God. In fact, I'll show you God. All you've got to do is repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and invite him to come into your heart. Now this is a scientific method. I've given you step A, you repent. Step B, you believe. Step C, you invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart as Lord and Savior. Follow that scientific method, and I guarantee you will see Jesus Christ. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so right. how would you respond to that as a, as a scientific evidence for God? Well, it's not scientific. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, the biggest problem is as soon as, like, you can do step A, repent, uh-huh. But if you never make it to actually seeing Jesus Christ, then any explanation from someone outside that believes in this method is going to say, well, then you didn't believe hard enough or you didn't actually fully repent of anything. Like, it's still mm-hmm. going to be your fault if you don't actually see him. And that's how it works. 
Right, exactly. And this is very, very similar to uh, the Moroni's promise yeah, in Mormonism. exactly. And the Holy Ghost in general. Mm-hmm. Right, so we, we talked briefly about it. Uh, I forget which episode it was, but we talked about Moroni's promise, where in the, the end of the Book of Mormon, one of the prophets says, you know, if you... Uh, want to know if this book is true if it's really what it's what it claims to be that it's divine um, you just pray and ask god and god will will tell you who mm-hmm. give you a burning in your bosom mm-hmm. um, you know which is like this sensation that overcomes you it's peaceful it's warm fuzzy all that kind of stuff and and they present it in like this this scientific kind of way they say that this is like a test you can do this and you'll get a result okay that's the claim and if you do it, but you don't get the right result, if you don't get that burning in the bosom, um, then their response is, try again. Yeah, your execution of the tried and true method was incorrect, not the method itself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and for me, personally, I, I tried this off and on for, uh, like I started in high school, mm-hmm. I did it through my mission, I did mm-hmm. it through college, and by the end of college, you know, after several years of trying this, it's just like, like, like at some point you have to concede that you're not going to get an answer. Mm-hmm. That that you just kind of have to throw in the towel and say, you know what? Maybe it's not just me. Maybe it's not just because I'm a sinner and I need to repent again. You know, it may, it, it's not about my sincerity because I really wanted to know. Mm-hmm. You know, I had every reason to to find out because all of my family and friends are Mormon. Like my whole social structure was Mormon. And I still didn't get anything that I couldn't explain in a, a natural, as, as a natural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. You know, like nothing that happened to me, nothing that I felt after I said a prayer, one of these prayers, felt divine or unexplainable or overwhelming or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so it applies, I think, a lot to what this Gordon Klingenschmidt guy is saying. He's giving more or less the same kind of thing. You repent. You believe, and then you invite Jesus Christ in your in your heart. Like it's the same kind of process. It's just mm-hmm. a little bit different, obviously. Um, but I, I think it's interesting that the very first step, step A, is you repent. Yeah. That is an act of faith. That is an act that you would do after you already believe. believe. Why right. would you repent <laughs> and pray? Like like applying it to Mor- Moroni's promise. Why would you pray if you didn't already have some? belief in it or some desire for it to be true Mm -hmm. you know like your your belief and your desire in something being true shouldn't have any bearing on whether or not you get a scientific answer in return you know at least i don't think so Mm -hmm. i don't see how how that would um be scientific yeah anyway so so that's gordon klingenschmidt's Mm -hmm. evidence for god (laughs) klingenschmidt um so let's move on and we'll talk about Mormon patriarchal blessings. Do you want to maybe talk about the process, like what happens or what was your experience when you got your patriarchal blessing? Jumping the gun here, man. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to Or did you have something else well, you want to start with? No. Patriarchal blessings, that's fine. But, um, well, okay. So before, before we go into like actually the process and stuff, I just kind of wanted to talk about like... Like, gosh, how do you phrase this? Like, what your understanding of a patriarchal blessing is, like, when you're a member of the church. Okay. Um, So my understanding of a patriarchal blessing when I was growing up and still a believing member was that, 
And this is basically what I was told too, is like it's supposed to be personal scripture. It's like a revelation into the roadmap of your life or whatever. That's how it was described to me. Mm. And so without any more like further detail on that, like it kind of led me to believe it would be more or less like, uh, like this is what you will become almost like a, you know, they're telling mm. your future basically. It right. is. It's their version of fortune telling. Yeah, it's their version of fortune telling. Although I didn't think of it as fortune telling at the time. Um, how did how how was it described to you? Like how did you learn about it? Because it's not something it's, that's it's always like yeah. talked about. I mean, it's mm. talked about, but it's not like taught necessarily. It's always like an underlying thing, right. something you're supposed to get. But the the way that it was always presented to me was that this was kind of a stepping stone to get you on the path to a mission, to get you to the temple. Um, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's the beginning of your kind of coming to age. So, a lot of people um, would get it when they were in high school, mm -hmm. and and uh, but but it seemed like it was a requirement, more or less, to get it before you go on your mission. Um, so, for me, I didn't get it in high school. I didn't really see the point. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really emphasized that much in my in my ward to get it early on. Mm -hmm. um, so, I got it the weekend before I went to the MTC and became a missionary. So like I got it like Saturday or Sunday and then on Wednesday I went into the MTC mm -hmm. and went on a two-year mission. So like uh, like it was the sort of thing that kind of puts you in the mindset. Like it's one of those things that you, you're doing, showing that you have faith and that mm -hmm. you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, I didn't really pay that close of attention to it there were a couple of things that that stood out to me uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute mm -hmm. um but I, di I didn't get a copy of it until much later like i don't think i even got a copy of it until i was like uh well i was probably about halfway through my mission oh really yeah um i guess that makes sense if you got it just a few days before you left right so so it so here's the process that, that happened for me. I went to this older gentleman's home. He, he and his wife had been um, missionaries themselves for several years. They had been going out doing humanitarian stuff for the church. And they had just come back from somewhere. I, I think it was Haiti, but I may be wrong on that. There was another couple that was also doing this kind of stuff too. And the, the, the gentleman, he's probably, he was probably in his 70s, um, older guy. And, you know, he greeted me at the door. He, he uh, walked me into a study and it was very nice, very uh, warm home. And he uh, had a chair in the middle of his study for me to sit in. And he stood behind me with his hands on my head. And as he was giving the blessing, he had a little tape recorder um, to record what he was saying because afterwards he would type it up and, and uh, you know, write down the transcript mm -hmm. of, the, of the blessing so that I could keep it. And, and so all of this was going on. And for me, like I was so focused on the fact that I was about to go on a mission that I, it didn't really matter what he said, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> like I was just there going through the motions I was, just so that I could go on the mission. Mm. Um, and then he sent it to my mother, the transcript to my mother who then mailed it to me oh. sometime later. Okay. Um, but I, I may have read it once on my mission and then it got lost in like my luggage. I never saw it for like a couple of years. It would just kind of show up periodically when I was like, when I would like move to a different apartment, that kind of stuff. Uh, so I never really 
uh, like read it and like applied it, that kind of stuff. Because as we'll get into, like it is very generic. It's it's mostly just stuff like follow the rules of the church and and you'll get blessings from God. Mm-hmm. That's that's more or less the gist of of mine at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't like it was particularly profound or anything that I didn't know already anyway, you know. But anyway, was your experience similar? Kind of. But so what I'm getting from you is that you, like, with your patriarchal blessing, this wasn't something that you really desired to get. You got it because it was something you were unofficially required to do before you went on your mission, right? Yeah, I was pretty apathetic about it. Okay. So for me, um, the whole patriarchal blessing thing, like, I was... I don't know I can't exactly I can't remember exactly like how I really felt about the idea of a patriarchal blessing except that I didn't want to get mine I I didn't want to get it because I was afraid of what I would be told Mm -hmm. um because like I mean at the time like I didn't really recognize like that I had doubts or that I didn't really believe anything it was just I was afraid that I would be told things about myself with my parents in the room well your parents were there yeah oh um that like would be embarrassing or awkward or I was just I was afraid of the whole Uh process I didn't and I was also afraid of like what potentially it would tell me my quote-unquote destiny was Uh because quite often girls in the church are told that they will be mothers they will have a celestial family like Mm -hmm. I didn't want that to be what I was supposed to do you don't want that to be set in stone yeah I didn't want that to be set in stone and I was afraid that like with all the expectations that would come in the blessing I wouldn't be able to meet any of them Mm. so I just I didn't want to get it so it was just a ton of pressure it was a yeah it's a ton of pressure and it's mostly it was pressure that I put on myself from like not Mm. understanding exactly what it was in the first place yeah you know and then just my imagination going wild like it usually does (laughs) but I got mine when I was 20 Okay. And it was mostly because my parents were finally putting the pressure on me to get it. And I think it was mostly because they thought I was kind of like floundering in life, you mm. know? I mean, I was going to college. At this point, I think I had come home from Utah State and was going to um, a community college nearby, and I was living at home. So it was like I wasn't, I didn't have any dating prospects. I wasn't mm. about to get married, you know? I wasn't doing the good LDS Mormon girl thing. Right. I was just getting an education and kind of going through life. Like, right. I didn't even know what I wanted to major in at the time. Which is an interesting point because by most standards, like you doing that, going to college and focusing on that, like by most standards, that's still a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's uh, an admirable thing. Right. Um, but that's not what the church really wants you to no. focus on. Because they really drive home this phrase, purpose and direction. You're supposed to do things with purpose and direction. And I... I mean, I didn't feel like I had a purpose or a direction. I was doing what I kind of felt like I needed to do, kind of what I had been told to do, and, you know, and resisting other things that were more forcefully being told I should do, like getting married. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, I finally decided to get it because I kind of bought into the I'm floundering kind of thing, too. Like, I just, I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. I didn't have a major or anything, so I was like, maybe this will help me find direction. Right. Um... Yeah, let's see. So the patriarch was a neighbor that lived right across the street from us. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was somebody that you actually knew. Yes, I knew him pretty mm-hmm. well. He Whereas mine, like, I met him that night. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a little different, too, because you got yours in Seattle where everyone, like, the ward boundaries are a lot more spread out, right? Yeah. Like, you're... 
most quite often your neighbors aren't even members. Yeah, Mor Mormons are a very small percentage of yeah. the Seattle population. Whereas in my case, I got mine when I lived in Utah. And everyone on my street, everyone within like a two block radius is in my ward and all right. pretty close knit. Yeah. And so I knew this guy. I mean, I didn't know him like on an intimate, familiar, fam familiar level, but like I knew of him. He was involved in certain activities at church mm -hmm. and stuff. And he he was he knew my dad and my mom pretty well too. Like they do stuff together sometimes. Okay. And he was probably about the same age, like an older guy, seventies. They they tend to be yeah pretty old. Yeah. Um. So yeah, let's see. So yeah, I just walked across the street. My parents. Um, came with me and we just sat in his little room it wasn't really a study it was just a little guest room I think same thing sat in a chair he stood behind me gave me the blessing and I I remember in the blessing like um, like while the blessing was going on I kept trying to keep my mind clear um, because like quite often <laughs> I fully admit to this whenever someone prays like uh -huh. I go somewhere else because it's just boring. Your right. eyes are closed. I'm going to fall asleep. So I just try and think of something else. And mm -hmm. this time I tried really hard not to. So I did take in a lot of what he was saying. Mm -hmm. But like while he was saying it, I would think things like, you're only saying that because you, you saw me do something like that. Or you know that that's something right. that I do. Like none of it felt inspired to me. It felt like he was just a man talking and trying to convince everyone else in the room that he was prophesying like right, he was giving this, me this, this revelation insight, yeah and i felt super bad about it because that's not mm. something you're supposed to think especially when you're like supposed to be feeling this spirit and right. you know you're getting a scripture told to you or whatever well that, that's the interesting thing about this in general is that you know this is supposed to be like god communicating to you mm. giving you direction for your life mm -hmm. but you have to have a third party to tell you yeah like exactly. why is that yeah why can't i just throw up a prayer and have him say do this yeah it's like we, we talked about on one of our previous episodes mm -hmm. you have to pray go, pray to god and get a personal revelation telling you that this other person this prophet mm -hmm. this leader of the church is getting revelation for you right it's the same kind of thing but mm -hmm. on a smaller scale mm -hmm. you know it's like why why the middleman yeah well the the reason is because the middleman also collects the tithing <laughs> does he well, not directly, oh, but okay. But I mean, with the case of the like the president of the church, okay, like, <laughs> right? Yes. <Okay. laughs> you confused me for a second. Right, I, I'm, I'm lumping them together as like the the church as a an organization as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they collect money. Right. Anyway, so, um, so so your experience was more um, intimate. You you knew the person, and he gave more specific details, but it all seemed like he was saying things based on what he already knew about you. Yeah, like I really had wished that the stake patriarch was someone that hadn't been in my ward. Yeah. That would have been more meaningful to me and maybe I would have bought into it a little bit more, even if it mm -hmm. hadn't been as detailed as mine turned out to be. Like, yeah. it would have been more like, oh wow, how did he know that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, okay, so let's let's get into some of the details then. Okay. Okay, so I've underlined and highlighted quite a few things in mind that, I'll, that I can read and then just we can talk about it or whatever. Okay. So, so first at the time, so I'm like 20, I'll be 21 in a couple of months at this time. And he has been in my, in my ward since we moved to Utah. So since I was 11. So he's been, he's watched he's me grow. Yeah. He's watched mm -hmm. me practically grow up. Mm -hmm. So he's seen kind of the talents that I had, the things that I was interested in, the people that I associated with. 
So one of the things that I was really into in middle school and high school was art. I love to draw. That was just something that I really like to do. Right. So that comes up in my blessing. Um, also, I was always in the Young Women's Presidency. I always had some sort of leadership role. I was usually president. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I was one of the counselors, but mostly I was the president. So I was always in some kind of leadership capacity. Yeah. And I also, like, since I was very little, I've always loved to play sports. Softball was a big one and basketball was a big one. Mm. Basketball more so later because I ruined my arm when I was younger. But And I was on the girls' basketball team, obviously, at church. And so, right. you know, people Which knew all of this stuff about its me. Its own kind of subculture. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> church ball. Church that ball. is actually also a movie. Church ball. Is it? Uh-huh. I never saw it, but... Oh. Just one of those spoof movies yeah. that we were talking about in the last episode. <laughs> okay, so in the first paragraph, there's a line that comes up. Um, he says, he knows he knows you by name, and he knows what you do and what you think about and how you act. Now, that right off the bat is just kind of freaky, right? Like, it's right. something that Mormons grow up with. I mean, even, like, Christians in general grow up with that feeling of always being mm -hmm. watched. When I was younger, this feeling of always being watched was really bad, but it's not something we need to get into It right kind now, of but. breeds this, this mild paranoia yeah i was paranoid mm -hmm. i seriously was paranoid yeah, I, I had, I, I had those a feelings too. really hard time mm -hmm. like between middle school and like my first year or so in high school i i was paranoid yeah. of being watched by something that i couldn't see but yeah. that doesn't apply anymore. and had the power to punish you for anything that you do yeah and, <laughs> and, and the other part that he knows what i think about that also freaked me out a lot too because i had thoughts all the time about yeah. stuff that I shouldn't be thinking about. And I tried desperately not to think about it. But right. how do you stop yourself from thinking about something? Well, you can't. You and, can't. And, then that, and that's the whole point is that you, yeah. you can't. And and the the church, well, it's it's the snake oil salesman mm -hmm. exa example that we've talked about before. Right. And they try and sell you the cure. Right. They, they create this disease mm -hmm. saying that these thoughts are evil. They're demented. Like they're this disease i guess um, mm -hmm. and they have a cure and the cure is their church right like they've created a problem and then they create the solution to their created problem yep. <laughs> you know uh, okay and then a little bit further down in that same paragraph it says i bless you that in your life you will achieve all of the righteous desires of your heart and that is just super generic oh yeah it's like so anything that i succeed at is direct reflection of my blessing because i got this blessing mm -hmm. what i succeed at was possible. Right, even though it doesn't actually specify anything. Exactly. So it's like, <laughs> oh, I painted something and mm -hmm. it sold for $50. That's successful. Right. And that was because it was a righteous desire. What, what <laughs> Would you believe me if I gave you a sandwich and said that this is a magical ham sandwich <laughs> and anything good that happens in your life from this point forward is because I gave you this magical ham sandwich? No. <laughs> I probably wouldn't even believe that when I was a child. <laughs> but it sounds... I mean, I mean, I suppose my my example is a little bit more ridiculous, mm -hmm. but it's the same kind of thing. Like mm -hmm. they're taking credit for everything good in your life right. without any real justification for it. Yeah, and if anything bad goes on in your life, it's because it wasn't you did something that wasn't righteous. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then the next paragraph. This one, I'm going to read a couple of sentences. It says, "I bless you, Corinne, that your life will be filled with service to others, for you are a unique daughter of your heavenly Father, for you have been blessed with special abilities." You have been blessed with good strength in your body, which allows you to be sports-minded and active. Those are his <laughs> words. <laughs> After he said sports-minded, I mentally rolled my eyes. I was like, who says that? Right. <laughs> like, that's not a thing. Um, you, have been, you have also been blessed with a sensitive side. Your drawings and paintings, the artistry and talents that you have been given, shows a great depth in your heart and your mind. 
So, yeah. like I said, I played sports. Everyone knew that. Right. I painted and I drew all the time, and I showcased a lot of that stuff in like war talent shows and stuff. So he always saw what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just kind of had a thought. We we had talked in preparation for this episode. We had talked a little bit about cold readings and hot readings, mm-hmm. and and we'll get into psychics a little bit later. But we're we're not actually talking directly about those techniques that they use. Mm-hmm. Um, but this sounds to me like a form of hot reading, you know, where you use information that you know about the person yeah. to make make it seem like you're making a prediction about the person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sounds like exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Like he's just oh. reading into it. Yeah, I remember, I was going to ask you, did you have an interview with the patriarch before he gave you your blessing? No. Like I said, I, I well, actually. Did it, he ask you any questions? He asked, well, let's see, we had a. We sat down and just kind of talked. I gave, like, he just kind of asked me a couple questions and then he gave me the blessing. Like, it was all part of the same ordeal. It was just kind of a getting to know you kind of thing. That's part of the process of getting your patriarchal blessing. So you have to get a recommend from the bishop. Uh And then usually you have an interview with the patriarch before he gives you the blessing. And, and that would be part of the hot reading, too. Right. It's He's taking information that you have just told him. Like, quite often questions revolve around um, where you want to go in your life, what sorts of things you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And this happens, like, because the patriarch doesn't know you most of the time. Not very well. No, not very the, well. Time, yeah. I mean, especially since he's a stake patriarch, so he's over a whole bunch of different wards. Yeah. So he's not directly involved with everyone. Mm-hmm. I just happen to be this guy's neighbor. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have an interview, but I know a lot of people generally do have an interview and they get asked questions like that. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Because that was not my experience when I... Yeah, and, and they and they totally use that information. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I mean, and he would have used any information he had asked me before in this, but he didn't have to because he already knew who I was. Right. Um, okay. The next paragraph, um, let's see, inside it says, The things that you do with your talents will be known by many inside and outside of the church. When he said that, I kind of got a little bit excited because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a little bit famous. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't want to be a little bit famous? Right. <laughs> just a little bit famous. Just a little bit famous. You, wanna, you, wanna, you don't want to be like, you know, Britney Spears famous where right. they drive you insane. Right. So initially where my head went was, well, because he had just talked about how I was, you know, I drew and I paint and I've got artistry and talents. And I was like, right. maybe I'm going to be like a somewhat famous artist. Like, right. And so I started thinking of things that I could start painting and drawing while I'm listening to this blessing. And then I'm mm-hmm. thinking, that's not really what I want to do, but whatever, let's keep listening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it continues, many will come to you and you will tell them the feelings of your talents and they will be impressed and inspired to know from whence they have come and to even change their lives and follow the light of Christ. I bless you. So, so because you are a good artist, you will inspire people to join the church. Well, I interpreted it as because I'm a good artist, someone, yeah, people will be inspired to join the church. But who knows? I mean, it's still pretty vague. That was my own spin on it. Okay. Um, So, yeah, this next sentence tortured me four years after. Yeah. He says, I bless you that you will be a missionary. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) At the time, I didn't really think anything of it. Um, Also... something um to keep in mind is 21 at this time was the age that most that girls could start going out on missions right so you so were at I'm, the age where April, you're about to think about it yeah it's april mm-hmm. my birthday is in august and that's when i'll turn 21 
and I seemingly have no like real direction in my life. So you, mm -hmm. quite often for girls that like have already graduated or don't really know what to do with their lives or aren't dating or don't have any prospects for marriage, they will go on a mission. Right. I don't have anything better to do. Exactly. May as well go on a mission. Exactly. <laughs> and so that that seriously tortured me for a long time. Like I I did reread my blessing quite often. Mm -hmm. um, not as much as some people I know, but. Whenever, like, I was like, I have no idea what to do, you know, like, oh, pull out right. your blessing, reread it, and see what it tells you to do. Right. And that line always stuck out to me, and I just kept thinking, I don't want to go on a mission. I mm. never had any desire to serve a mission, ever. Right. I was never jealous of the boys for going on missions. I That was not something I wanted to do. Almost felt sorry for them. Almost felt sorry for them. <laughs> but they had yeah. the priesthood, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So after I bless that you will become a missionary, it says, I bless you that you will serve others in a way that many will look to you like a savior. For you will help the downtrodden, the weak, and the afraid, and the less fortunate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then here comes a declaration of what I didn't necessarily want to hear. Okay. I bless you that you will be a mother. You will have that special sacred experience. You and your husband will live lives of righteousness, and you will support and sustain, sustain him as he is called to serve in the kingdom. And he likewise will sustain and support you as you are called to positions of leadership and responsibilities. So, yeah, it was the mother part. Like, it's not that I didn't ever want to have kids. I just didn't want that to be what I did. You didn't want that to I be your identity. I didn't want to be my identity. I didn't want that to be my defining thing in this life. The most important thing you ever do. Right. I mean, maybe that is, but I still wanted to have other options, you know, be right. able to do other things. But... And, and to come to that decision on your own. Exactly. I didn't want to be told that I had to do that. Mm -hmm. It's part of the reason why I didn't date a lot. Mm. Um, but, yeah, um, I also, so this bit after the whole mother part, or it says, like, you and your husband will be righteous. You'll both be called to serve in the kingdom or whatever. I, I s interpreted that kind of as being, like, I will have, like, a bigger role to play in the church. Like, maybe be in the general young women's presidency oh, or yeah. Relief Society presidency or something. Because that would also be a way where people would know who I was, both mm -hmm. inside and outside the church. You yeah. Know? <laughs> well, yeah, and there have been like, perfect examples of that. Uh, I don't know so much about the female leadership, but, you know, you, you look at some of the, the apostles, mm -hmm. like you have well-known lawyers, well-known heart surgeons. Mm -hmm. um, uh, was it Ezra Taft Benson was like Secretary of Agriculture for the, the United States. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, like, like they get these big name people, mm -hmm. um, prominent members of the community uh, to be the leaders of the church also. You know, and it becomes this big thing that they can point to. Mm -hmm. It's like, look at their career over here. Mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of like what what uh, a lot of Republicans are doing with uh, Ben Carson right now, mm -hmm. saying, right. like, don't you think he would be a fantastic presidential candidate because he's this great heart surgeon, heart surgeon or brain surgeon or whatever mm -hmm. he is, you know? It's like, well, the two don't necessarily follow. Like, he probably is a really good doctor, but how does that translate into him knowing what to do with you know, public relations or, uh, you know, diplomacy with other countries, mm -hmm. especially hostile countries like North Korea or, you know, things aren't looking so well with Russia or whatever. Like the fact that he knows how to use a scalpel doesn't mean that he knows how to talk to Putin, <laughs> <Right>. mm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but in in the Mormon church, it's it's all fair game. If you're a prominent member of a particular community that's it has a, a successful career that mm -hmm. makes you a good candidate in a lot of ways to be a leader of the church, right. and it, it gives them a, a poster child. Mm -hmm. Um, so I so then in the blessing he specifically says that I'll be blessed to go to the celestial kingdom, 
and that'll have my family there. Oh, um, that's awfully specific. That have been sealed to me, yeah. And we'll all be joined together through the eternities. Um, and then he gets into the conditions. You think that maybe he said that because your parents were in the room? That might be part of it. And, I mean, this is, I don't know, maybe this will sound like big-headed of me or whatever, but I legitimately was, like, for all intents and purposes, superficially, I was, like, a true believing Mormon. Like, mm -hmm. I did everything I was supposed to do except for maybe the whole dating and wanting to get married thing. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I was president of all the young women's, yeah. like, classes. I had lots of friends in young women's that looked up to me. Like, I helped people all the time. You know, like, I was involved in the church right. without really being involved mm. you know and so i i mean he i'm sure lots of people just interpreted that as me being a really righteous person i yeah. had quite a few friends too that like like putting us side by side they were far more rebellious than i ever was like i hardly ever broke the rules i was really responsible mm -hmm. i mean but those are just traits that i was born with like that's just right. who i am it had nothing to do with the church yeah. yeah it had nothing to do with being brought up in the church mm -hmm. but that's how he saw me it. and he yeah. wants and that's how the church wants you to interpret that. exactly like they want you to god think god gave me exactly. these this talents is, this, is a talent. this characteristic and this is what's going to get you mm -hmm. to the celestial kingdom um, okay, so yeah, the conditions. My conditions are super generic and mm -hmm. the answers that you get in Sunday school. Uh, you know, I'm supposed to be obedient, keep the commandments, stay away from things that would bring me down and cause me hurt and sorrow. Um, and then he says, I bless you that you will be able to shun those things and you will be able to continue to follow the light. You see the light as you pray, you see the light as you study the scriptures, and you see the light as you listen to prophets and apostles of today. I bless you that the time will soon come when you will hunger for those things that you read and listen to that are from Heavenly Father. You will learn much, and that which you learn, you will be able to share with others. So those are all my conditions. <laughs> you know, it's nothing, again, so it's nothing specific. Yeah, just mm. be a good Mormon. Keep doing what you're doing, and you'll get all these things. Right. <clears throat> um, he also blesses me that throughout my life I will be a happy person. He says, I'll find joy in little things that others may miss. And he says that's because I have a great talent that was given to me to draw and to paint. <laughs> and he tells me that I need to use this great talent and I need to study creatures and nature and people. And at this point, I Which rolled my like eyes. sounds like great advice for an artist. Right, exactly. <laughs> but at this point, I rolled my eyes too because he knew that I liked to draw. I was into art and stuff, but he didn't know exactly what it was that I liked about art or what I like oh, to yeah. do like I I don't enjoy drawing animals like I'll do the mm -hmm. occasional portrait or whatever but I'm not into like the nature of things or the like I really like perspective and lines and like things like mm -hmm. that <laughs> it's a little more abstract than doing a you know a picture of a temple or you know uh -huh. just some great mountain landscape scene or whatever it's right it's like you don't really know me but you think you know me right <laughs> and that was another really telling thing to me at that time, too. Um, he says, I'll have a long and a happy life. And, oh, yeah. And then he also declared my lineage as being from Ephraim, which we'll talk about lineage later. But okay. I have more to say on lineage. But that's that's basically my blessing. Okay. Cool. How about yours? Well, let's see. So mine... Um, is much more generic. Again, he didn't know that much about me. He knew uh, who my parents are. Um, he knew my dad because my my dad is involved in local leadership. Mm -hmm. And he knew that my dad was a doctor. 
and he, my dad was a bishop at various times. Um, so he kind of works some of that in a little bit. Um, so he starts out just right off the bat, tells me that I am also from Ephraim. <laughs> so he starts with your lineage. Yeah, he starts with it. Um, he, he had a, a fun little line that, that caught my attention at the beginning. He's talking about, um, you know, how, how God like looks at me, how God knows me. And he says, he knows your past. He knows what you will do in this life. <laughs> the fact that he knows does not take away your agency. It should be an incentive to you to do your very best. And I just thought that was super funny because, I mean, if the, the Mormon narrative of the pre-existence and the, mm -hmm. the creation of the universe is actually true, what that implies is that God, being all-powerful and all-knowing, um, <laughs> knew what I would do um, before he even created me. Mm -hmm. And he decided to create this universe in which I make these decisions. He could have chosen to create a different universe in which I made different decisions and perhaps uh, came to believe in Mormonism and stayed faithful to the church and that kind of stuff and made it to the celestial kingdom, mm -hmm. okay? But instead, I'm in this universe here and now where I can't bring myself to believe it and I'm an atheist and that will necessarily mean that I won't make it into the celestial kingdom if Mormonism is true, mm -hmm. okay? So in essence, God chose my destiny, my salvation, or damnation before he even created me. Right. Okay. So for him to say that the fact that God knows all of this about me, mm. that doesn't have anything to do with my agency. It doesn't take away my agency. Mm. Well, based on the Mormon um, concept, I didn't have any agency to begin with. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so, so moving on, uh, he talks a lot about... Uh, the war in heaven, how I was faithful, which mm -hmm. is just, you know, this vague concept within Mormonism. It's kind of a, a relic. Uh, they don't talk about it much these days. They like, talk about it with the younger kids. Well, yeah, they, they say that, you know, in general, like, the like Mormons were faithful in the war in heaven, and that's why they're Mormons now. Like, that kind of thing. Right. Everyone, but, so everyone on earth was faithful in mm -hmm. heaven, but depending on where you stood, like, it was, we always made the analogy of it was like a tug of war. So Satan and uh, his followers were on one side, and then everyone else that made it to earth was on another side. Mm -hmm. And those that were closest to, like, the middle of the rope were the most faithful, and that was generally, like, Mormons and people that followed Christ. Huh, and then the further analogy. back you were on, the rope was, mm -hmm. like would determine like how faithful you were in this life. So, so like people like Christopher Hitchens were way back there. Blacks were right. way back there. Slaves, well, that's what I was Native about to get Americans, into. they were all way back there and less faithful in heaven. Right, that's that's where they're tr trying to get away from. They mm -hmm. don't want to make the statement that you know, like black people, like they used to say, right. uh, were less faithful in mm -hmm. the church. Like old church leaders used to say that mm -hmm. over the pulpit. Blacks were less faithful in, in uh, the pre-existence, mm -hmm. okay? And you know, after the whole 1978 thing when they allowed blacks to get the priesthood, they started to change the rhetoric. And now there's, you know, like if you were to say something like that, immediately a church leader would say, we don't believe that anymore. Right. Or, that's not actual church doctrine. That was just right. leaders speaking as men. Mm -hmm. um, that's not actual doctrine. Right. Um, so they, they, that's what I was getting at. Like they're stepping away from that kind of thing. So there's still this exceptionalism when it comes to being a Mormon with regards to the preexistence. But it's it's uh, it only really they only really specify the Mormons. Mm -hmm. uh, they're getting away from saying how faithful or unfaithful other groups of people were in the preexistence. Um, 
Uh, so he, he also says that in this whole pre-existence uh, war that was going on, Lucifer, the devil, knew me very well. <laughs> which is kind of creepy. It says, uh, Lucifer was there, I mean, in the war in heaven, and he knew you well. He was cast out, and he and his cohorts were in this are in this mortal life in which we live. He knows some of your weaknesses, and he will try to use those to persuade you to discard your testimony that you already have. You will not be tempted beyond that point where you would be able to resist. So basically he's saying that Satan knows me really well, uh, apparently better than most, um, and he has it out for me, mm-hmm. and he's going to try extra hard to get me to leave the church, mm-hmm. which is is an interesting out for him to put into this thing as like, you know, now that I'm an atheist and I'm out of the church, well, Lucifer got to you. Yeah, but doesn't <laughs> he say in there that you won't be um, tempted beyond what you're able? Right, meaning that it's my choice. That that even though okay. Lucifer is, is out to get me and he's, mm-hmm. he's presenting all these temptations mm-hmm. around me, it's still my fault that I walked yeah. away. Um, and he actually co- goes, comes back to that a little bit later. Um, he had another paragraph in here. It said, um, avoid temptation for Lucifer will try to tempt you in ways in which you are most vulnerable, which, which is church speak for saying um, Satan is going to try to make you think of sexual things mm-hmm. and, and get you to masturbate, mm-hmm. and that's going to damn you. My guess is stuff like that comes up quite often in boys. Oh, yeah. Blessings. Yeah, absolutely. That Satan is going to tempt you because you're a man and more susceptible to that. Right. Which has more to do with body chemistry than spirituality. Right. (laughs) You know, but but even that's... intertwined in Mormonism. Right. That's true. But but even that is uh, is an overstatement that that guys are these sex-obsessed beings, Mm -hmm. right? But it is something that the Mormons feed into. Oh, absolutely. So bad. Mormonism is full of rape culture. Oh, yeah. But... uh, and they, they completely downplay the fact that, that girls have these thoughts and feelings too. Mm-hmm. And even though it seems to be more common that, that guys view pornography or mm-hmm. act out sexually, um, girls do too. Yeah. You know, there's a, a statistic that says something like, uh, what is it? It's like 90% of guys view pornography um, with, I think it's like a monthly regularity. So about once a okay. month, like 90% of men will view pornography something along those lines but uh the the counterpoint to that is that um there's a high percentage of females that view it as well it's not as high mm-hmm. it's probably about half or 40 percent or something around that mm-hmm. like it's, it's been a couple of years since i read the the study that this was that this came from but you know it's about like half of the female population also mm-hmm. views pornography once a month so did they specifically say view pornography or yeah. was it just pornography as an overarching thing because like, I'd be willing to bet, like, if they included things that, like, like romance novels, that um, is, like, a form of pornography erotica. and some erotica, um, and those numbers would skyrocket for women. Oh, yeah. Like, the like, totally. uh, what is it? Uh, some people consider Twilight to be erotica because it's it's got uh, a lot of undertones about, like, you know, I've never read it. but That is like, super softcore. That is, is not even close. Okay. Maybe people are ex- were exaggerated. I've heard people try to, to equate... Uh, Twilight with those kinds of things because of certain things that are that right. are talked about. I mean, there are subtle subtleties, but I mean, you get that in lots. It's of not as overt. Then? No, it's yeah. Okay. No, um, there's no like description of a sex scene or anything. Yeah. Okay. 
Sorry, so, derailed a little bit. Totally derailed. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we like derailments. <laughs> Tangents are fun. <laughs> we should talk about pornography maybe on a later episode. Oh, yeah. Well, absolutely. Like, uh, I would love to get into, like, uh, like some of Dr. Daryl Ray's stuff. We mentioned him mm-hmm. a little bit when we talked about the therapist um, a couple episodes ago. Oh, yeah. Um, and how she was letting her Mormon homophobia get into her therapy, mm-hmm. right? Um, but, I mean, Dr. Daryl Ray talks about pornography, talks about sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a book. I forget what it is. It's it was like one that Sexuality you, and God or something Yeah, like, that. like you, you were going to read it a little while ago, but never got around to it. I just haven't found it yet. I still want to read it. Yeah. But, yeah, Dr. Daryl Ray's got some great stuff. Um, so maybe we should do a segment on that sometime. But uh, moving on with mine, let's see. It talks a lot about very generic stuff, like I... Uh, I'll bring happiness to other people. I'm kind to other people. I'll help people um, be faithful to the church, be strong in the church. Mm-hmm. Says that I'm going to go on a mission, which, which is, duh, which duh, like that's you're the leaving whole point like four there. days later. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> the whole point. I was there. <laughs> um, it says, uh, let's see, that I'll be able to discern. Oh yeah, let's let's talk about. Uh, the uh, spiritual gifts so that's one of the things that a lot of people um, go to their patriarchal blessing for is to find out what spiritual gifts they get because it talks about in scriptures these different gifts of the spirit mm-hmm. um, like the ability to speak in tongues the ability to heal and there's like a whole list of them right and he, he, gi- he gives me a couple he says you have the gift of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ that gift, big gift, big gift. Yeah. <laughs> that gift was given to you in your pre-existence. Although I don't know why you need the gift of believing in Jesus Christ in a pre-existence where you can see, see Jesus him. Christ. Yeah. Um, and it has been strengthened as you have lived in the mortal life. You have a gift of discernment, where you will have the power to recognize different influences that will be contrary to the will of the Lord, meaning I'll be able to recognize when Satan is trying to tempt me. Mm-hmm. And how will I know these things? Because they'll be contrary to what the church tells me. Because you're supposed to feel bad about them. Exactly. Like when I have those dirty thoughts, I think, oh my gosh, that's Satan tempting me. Mm-hmm. I have to stop that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it creates this sort of paranoia, this cycle of guilt, mm-hmm. um, which is another thing that Dr. Doroy talks about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the cycle of guilt is its very common in Mormonism, but it's not exclusive to Mormonism. No, it's... it's pretty common in all religion in, in any religion that um seeks to control the sexuality mm-hmm. of people uh, through repression of some kind so it says you have the gift of discernment well you will have oh wait, i already read that mm-hmm. uh, moving on it says you have the gift of healing there will be times in your life where you will be called upon to assist in giving blessings to the sick and afflicted you have you have that power so keep yourself ready and when the occasion arises you will be able to give the blessing which your father in heaven wishes that person to receive and this one bothered me quite a bit this one kind of added to that paranoia that we've been talking about a little bit where it wasn't just about like me having the gift of discernment or the gift of believing in jesus christ where it where if i'm not worthy it, it will only affect me. It, like the only harm that will happen will be directed towards me. Mm-hmm. If I'm not worthy to have the gift of healing, where I can't give the right blessing, mm-hmm. that's something that will affect somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that bothered me a lot. Huh. Like, 
and and there was an instance I actually wrote a blog post about this um, a little while ago there was an incident at uh, at in college where we were at um, this farm ranch up in Idaho like a bunch of us had just kind of gotten together and uh, you know guys girls and it was just like a weekend thing lots of horseback riding and going helping out the farms just kind of checking things out it was uh, at a farm owned by uh, uh, the family of one of the girls that was in our ward and it was just, this is something that we would do um, like every summer or something like that anyway so we go to this 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 ranch and a girl gets on a horse and she's she's not particularly experienced with horseback riding and she's riding around this little corral um, which is probably about a quarter acre um, and the horse spooks and starts galloping from one end to the other okay and when it gets to about 15 20 feet away from the fence it just stops abruptly mm -hmm. and this causes the girl to fly over the head of the horse and roll into one of the big wooden fence posts on her side like like right on her ribcage just landed right on uh perpendicular to the fence post and she passed out immediately okay so i mean obviously everybody just runs to her mm -hmm. and she's unconscious she's kind of gargling her own spit a little bit and a little bit of blood's mixed in she goes into a seizure and immediately I um, like just kind of go to her head, make sure her airway's clear. I uh, try to like stabilize her head so that she doesn't like hurt herself, like hit it on a rock or whatever. And um, just kind of keep her head out of the dirt and the mud. And while I'm holding her head, um, one of the other guys that's there pulls out a little vial of consecrated oil, uh, which is one of the things that Mormons use so that they can give a blessing. Priesthood holders. Priesthood holders. So they can give a blessing. It's like this extra special thing that's, that's going to make your prayer, your blessing more powerful or more potent. More potent. Um, I don't know how that works, but it does. It's consecrated. It's consecrated. So, don't so, ask. so, you know, yeah. So it's spiritual. Right. So, so he gives me the vial and uh, the implication is that I would give this girl a blessing, a blessing of healing. Okay. And basically command God to save her to not let her die or get hurt or whatever and and i i tell him you give it to her like you give her the blessing and um there were two reasons why why i said for him to do it one i was focused on not letting her drown in her own spit and two i didn't know if i was worthy quote unquote to give the blessing okay and that goes, goes into the whole psychology of like of what we've been talking about like guilt and shame the guilt and shame and, and all of the stuff that's uh, wrapped up in that um you know so so i wasn't sure i, I like i wasn't I, I just didn't have that kind of confidence it's like i didn't want to give her a blessing when i wasn't worthy mm -hmm. so so you do it you know and for a long time after that because this was still before i had really acknowledged my doubts i was still at byu and and it bothered me that that was my reaction. Um, and it, it made me think that I was, you know, somehow evil or unworthy. That, like, like it had made the situation worse in some way. Mm -hmm. um, now, um, looking back at it as an atheist, mm -hmm. um, I absolutely stand by my decision. Right. Like, like I really do think that I made the right choice mm -hmm. to help that girl 
keep her airway clear and to not have her, you know, hit her head on something mm -hmm. than to try to give her a blessing during all of this commotion, mm -hmm. you know. And it just kind of makes me think, well, how many, you know, how many of these kinds of situations happen on a regular basis where they're made worse by people trying to give them a blessing in the moment, you know. Anyway, so so that's one that had always kind of bothered me. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole gift of the healing, gift of healing thing. What I think is interesting about the three spiritual gifts you got is mm -hmm. that they're not, like, they're still really generic. Like, oh, yeah. the gift of healing, that's mm -hmm. something that every priesthood member has. Yes. That is, that is able to carry the consecrated oil. Like, that's, mm -hmm. ex that's not... It's not a gift. It's not a gift. It's, a, it's something it's that... Every, yeah, exactly. It's something mm -hmm. that every single person... You have to have the Melchizedek priesthood. Yeah. Yeah, anyone that holds the Melchizedek priesthood can do that. Same yeah. with the gift of discernment. Like, yes. supposedly every member of the church has that gift, and you lose that once you, you know, That's true. turn they, they say against that, it. That once you're baptized and you have the gift of the Holy Ghost, mm -hmm. after you're you confirmed, are able to discern have, Satan yes, from God. Exactly. Yeah, and then what was the other one? Uh, gift of believing. In gift Jesus of Christ. yeah, and that one was just kind of Silly. retarded anyway. Yeah. <laughs> If you're a Mormon, you technically believe in God <laughs> right. already. Um, there really wasn't a whole lot else in mine. Um, like like most of us, just really generic. It's all about following the church. Uh, he talks about the law of chastity again. Like he just kind of really drives that home, of course. Mm -hmm. um, again, probably because I was a guy. Yeah. Like that's a common thing. Like there's thing. nothing in my blessing about that. Yeah. Um, says I'll be a father. Um I should go to the temple. There, where was it? There was one part. Oh, yeah. Here it is. There will be a time when you will want a spouse. <laughs> associate, oh, <yeah. laughs> associate only with those who are living the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which is probably the only thing specifically mentioned in here that I have actually done. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> We find this part entertaining because at the time that we started dating, I was still a member of the church. Yeah. I still went. Very active. I was pretty active. It, so it's funny. We like yeah. to say that, well, you did. You dated an LDS yeah. girl. I followed my patriarchal blessing. Yeah. I didn't even know it. Nope. I mean, by the time we got married, I wasn't, but yeah, right. <laughs> that's beside the point. Right. <laughs> Which means I must so have broken some other thing in here. Right. So um, real quick, back to the okay. whole chastity thing. So it specifically says keep the law of chastity or something like that? Uh, let me find it. It says... Here it is. Keep all the commandments, especially obey the law of chastity. So that is something that should have come up in mind. Yeah. Because I had quite a few of my thoughts revolved around sexual things. Uh -huh. I, I don't know why, but from a very young age, I was very interested in sex. Mm. And so, I mean, I would be one well, of those it's the girls. Most natural thing. Yeah, it's really natural, but I mean, in my head, I thought I was doing it more than anyone else. And this every, was one and, of those things that I does. was terrified was going to come up. Yeah, and everybody does think that they do it mm -hmm. more than everybody else. Yeah, but I mean, I even like it. read things too. It's like softcore porn type mm -hmm. things is what how I classified it in my mind that would like talk about, you know, people having sex. Like it was never explicit, uh -huh. but but it was implied. It and, was implied, uh -huh. and I knew it, and, and my body knew it. it. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I would have dreams, too. I had dreams all the time that, mm -hmm. like, was my brain's way of trying to release that sexual pressure. Mm -hmm. But, like, I would not let myself get to that point in my dream. Like, I would forcibly yeah. wake myself up. So that is something that should have come up in my blessing if it had been from God. 
But it didn't. But it didn't. Because it was, it was from nowhere the guy in down it. Your street. Exactly. Who <laughs> only saw me on a surface level. Uh -huh. Who never saw me struggle with things like that. Right. I really struggled with that. Yeah. So yeah. Which is sad. Because it shouldn't be a struggle. It shouldn't be. It, oh like my there's, gosh. There's so many more healthy ways of approaching sex and sexuality and, mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. Yeah. I think my life would be completely different if that had been something that I was allowed to like actually do. Yeah. And talk about yeah, appropriately. Yeah. Talk about. And, yeah. And not yeah, be afraid to be talk about with about. like my, even my parents, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Like well, I can't even recall ever having the sex talk with my parents. Ever. I don't know if I ever did. It seemed like... I have this vague recollection of it happening in a very vague kind of way. Like, like they talked about the mechanics of it in like, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like there wasn't really a whole lot that was actually said. Yeah. But I, if I remember it correctly, it's not just me just kind of reading into it. It would have been around like the age of 12. But around that same age, my dad was my bishop. Right. And we, I had my first priesthood interview where mm -hmm. you meet with the bishop before you get the ironic mm -hmm. priesthood. And he asked me if I knew what masturbation was. And that was an awkward conversation. Oh, my gosh. You know, because I, be. I had never even... Well, I, I had heard of it. And, and the only um, context that I had with it, being mm -hmm. a 12-year-old boy, not really understanding what it was, because I've never had a healthy educational educa uh, conversation about it, was this one time when when I was on the bus uh, we were driving back and like when one of my friends got off the bus she went over to like a pole and started like fake humping it just to be funny and in my mind that was what masturbation was like just kind of like mm. play sex kind of thing uh -huh. just not really actually having sex <laughs> but just kind of playing around like joking like uh -huh, we're right. adults and we're pretending to have sex now <laughs> like that kind of thing uh -huh. <laughs> which is just silly uh -huh. you know but, th but that was what my understanding was and so, yeah, the the conversation got really awkward really fast, and I didn't know why. <laughs> yep. You know, um, I don't I don't think I really have anything else to say about my blessing. Um, you said you wanted to talk about the lineages. In a second, I also so I asked my sister, who okay. has also left the church. I was hoping she still had her blessing, but she doesn't. She threw it away. But I asked her from um, to tell me like what she remembered about it. Um, I thought it would just be nice to kind of compare hers and mine together because grew up in the same house, knew the same patriarch. Sure. Um, she was 18 when she got hers, so she got hers right around the same time that I got mine, actually, now that I think about it. So it would have been from the same patriarch. And she remembers from hers, like her lineage was also Ephraim. Um, and then she says that she, she um, was supposed to be very well read. Um, she was supposed to be able to be capable in the areas of math and science so that she would be able to accomplish her fondest dreams. <laughs> of of uh, being a pilot, right? Right. Well, I, I, asked, her, um, I asked her if um, Brian, the patriarch, knew specifically that she wanted to be a pilot. And she said at this time she wasn't um, sure that he knew specifically that she wanted to be a pilot. She's pretty sure that his wife um, knew that but didn't know like how much he knew about it. Uh -huh. um, so my my thoughts on this is the whole um, be capable in the areas of math and science is that I think people that don't know much about like being a pilot automatically assume that you need to be good at things like math and science. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not going to want to be like literature majors or something. It's like sure. you're more on the hardcore like math and science or whatever. Well, I, I mean, I I don't know that much about being a pilot. Right. And I would make that assumption. Right. Well, and I asked her about that. I was like, so like... 
as a pilot, do you have to, like, because she majored in geography. Okay. It's not really a science. It's not math. Right. You know? And, she, I mean, that was just something she did because it was an easy major. Okay. She didn't have to have a specific major in order to graduate from, um, what was it called? I can't remember what it's called now. The ROTC? Yeah, ROTC. Okay. <laughs> or become a pilot. Um, and she said, like, once she started, like, doing her pilot training, there was more math involved. Uh-huh. But it's it has more to do with, like, navigation and stuff. Like, it's very specific mm-hmm. mathematics. It's not an overarching, like, you have to be good at calculus. Right, and, you don't need you know, to know certain things. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what is really interesting, again, so, obviously, my sister is a girl. But mm. <laughs> she is told that she would meet a handsome young man. I would love her very much, and she would be blessed with the ability to bear children. She said her blessing, all in all, was pretty short and sweet, and it focused mostly on worldly things, uh-huh. which is pretty much what mine focused on, too. Um, but what's interesting about meeting a, a man, a handsome man, is that my sister <laughs> is homosexual. <laughs> right. <laughs> she is not into men. And so that, and at this point, she knows this about herself. She's yeah. 18 years old. She's pretty aware of that. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, even even in high school, she had started pulling away from the church. So I think she might have gotten her blessing in an effort to maybe stay closer to the church. I don't know. But, uh-huh. you know, so she's already pulling away. She's already pretty aware of who she is. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get something like that. It's like, right. what does that do to a person's, like, faith? <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> and my, my sister is more of a rational, like, lo- logical thinker. And so she never... She has never bought into the um, pray away the gay thing that Mormons used to. Push. Oh, that's good. So it wasn't something that she was like, "Oh my gosh, like I need to fix, I this. Need to fix this." You know, she kept pulling away and like you know, eventually left. Yeah, and <laughs> but, good for her, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, I I know people that have tried those techniques to yeah. to cure themselves mm-hmm. essentially. Well, I read a book about that. Yeah, and it's it's terrible. It's mm-hmm. awful. Yeah. You know, it's it, really awful. It's abusive. I, yeah. yeah, I feel oh, like I've said that before. Yeah, <laughs> we can have a whole other episode on that. Yeah, which we probably should on that book. <laughs> oh, I I know what book you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah, the ones written by people in your stake. Uh, yeah. Or your ward or whatever. Some of them, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, so enough about our blessings. Um, so I wanted to do a little bit of research on patriarchal blessings, just because everything I knew about it was just more of what I'd kind of gleaned from like things that other people talked about or whatever. Uh-huh. So I think I found this link to this article on Mormon Think. Um, but it, I think the right, lady so, that wrote so this... So Mormon Think, for people that don't know, is a, a great resource um, for people to learn more about church history of the, of the Mormon church and like issues with the Book of Mormon, issues with Joseph Smith and polygamy and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's mormonthink.com, I think. If you, if you just Google Mormon Think, you'll find it. Yeah. Um, it's pretty easy to find. Yeah. It's a great resource. Anyway. So so the nice thing about this article is that it was pretty unbiased. So I, I'm assuming that she um, is LDS, but she very well might not be. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Also, this was done in the 80s, so it's a little bit dated, but it still applies really well to um, blessings of, like, the 21st century. Okay. Um, so she points out... Oh, so this article, um, it, it's called Patriarchal Blessings and the Routinization of Charisma. <laughs> so, so basically she wants to look at um, the lineage, um, major prophetic themes and how they've changed, 
and then blessings to women and how they've changed, and then changes in policies and in practices of blessings. That okay. one was actually pretty interesting. Um, but she points out that Mormon culture is very cohesive, and anyone that knows anything about Mormonism will agree with that. Uh-huh. It's very cohesive. Everyone is very similar, at least superficially. Yes, and, and they, they strive for that mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, and because of this cohesiveness, I mean, it, it just follows that the blessings will embrace like the same kind of imagery, the language, and the content of whatever the social, um, the social climate of the church is at the time. Mm-hmm. So there will be patterns from the beginning of the church to the end of the church that are all very similar mm-hmm. depending on what time um, they're given at. So do you want to explain kind of what the lineage is? So the, the lineage, from what I understand, is you have the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, I, I'm not even going to attempt to name them all. <laughs> I know. Um, so Israel being um, a person in the Bible who had 12 uh, children, 12 sons, mm-hmm. right? And from that, you have the kingdom of Israel, and everybody kind of broke off. You have the Levites that were focused um, more on like the like day-to-day rituals and like managing the the church religious aspects and then you had manasseh you had ephraim um that had different responsibilities within like their kingdom and from and, and manasseh joseph's sons they're not actually they're like israel's god's oh yeah sons, i think you're right but they are included in those tribes yeah in the lineage which, which is important uh, i guess to mormons because there's uh uh, they make a big deal about Joseph in the um, Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. But it, anyway, um, so in your patriarchal blessing, the the idea is essentially that everybody that's alive today is either of direct lineage from one of the 12 tribes of Israel or has been sort of spiritually uh, adopted into mm-hmm. one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. And the, the way that, that Mormons look at it is right now, most people are either in Manasseh or Ephraim. Uh, there are a few exceptions to that. Um, but before the second coming of Christ can happen, there needs to be uh, representatives from all of the tribes of Israel. Uh, so that's why that's one of the, the most important things about the patriarchal blessing as far as the church is concerned, because as you get your patriarchal blessing, they tell you which tribe you have been adopted into mm-hmm. or that you're from. And it's a big thing for Mormons. For a lot of them, Everyone wants to know. Yeah. Because it's this big, you know, question mark, like, Mm -hmm. like, well, which one am I? Mm -hmm. And again, most people Mm -hmm. fall into one of the two. Um, and, and, And again, like, they believe that before the second coming can happen, there needs to be people from each of the 12 tribes uh, who get their patriarchal blessing, essentially. And you're supposed to receive specific, like, blessing specific to the tribe that you've been... Yeah. Given to. Although they never, to my knowledge, that's never specifically given. Like, I, I have no idea what the blessings of Ephraim are. Yeah, mine mentioned something about the blessings of Ephraim and said that they're like the greatest of the blessings of all the tribes. Right, but that follows but it didn't with say the church's what they belief were. that Ephraim is the best tribe right now. Right, and it, it doesn't say what any of the blessings actually are. Mm-hmm. It just says that I get some of them. Yeah, so that's a huge <laughs> question. It's like, what are the promised blessings and are these blessings actually different from each tribe mm-hmm. you know i i don't know yeah i don't even know if there is a list anywhere mm-hmm. where it actually talks about mm-hmm. that and it's nothing that's really discussed in church either like no one talks about the blessings of yeah. the tribes of israel um and i think it's just because the church just 
can't decide what those blessings would be. Yeah, you know? they, they hate to paint themselves into a corner <laughs> yeah. most of the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the whole idea of lineage for me is just kind of confusing because, I mean, lineage, it's like it it's a line of descendants that's particular to an ancestor. So it follows right. that it should be technically blood-related. So if I'm from the tribe of Ephraim, it should follow that everyone in my family, both immediate and extended, mm. should technically be from Ephraim. I mean, there will be intermarriages and stuff, mm -hmm. but we should all be basically of the same tribe. Right. And granted, I don't know the tribes of everyone in my family. Most of them from um, the people that I've talked to are from Ephraim. But it's also possible for members of the same family to be members of different tribes. And so why is that a thing? Like, mm -hmm. my sister could be from Manasseh while I'm from Ephraim. So like, <coughs> why, why is that a thing? <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, right. And, and, of course, putting on my, my Mormon hat, mm -hmm. my Mormon apologist hat, the response to that would be, well, you're not a direct lineage you're adopted adopted in mm -hmm. but then it's like why am i adopted and why was my sister not adopted in like it right. just it doesn't make sense mm -hmm. and i think that's another reason why it's not really talked about in church people yeah. will give lessons blessings I mean, are not, supposed to be personalized mm -hmm. and personal right meaning it, you're, it's not like against any rules to talk about it with other people but it's kind of frowned upon it's it's an unspoken rule that you're not supposed to talk to anyone outside of your family and even like oh. within your family you're not supposed to give like intimate details of your blessing okay and <laughs> I, I don't remember that but that's fine it's an unspoken rule but like uh -huh. if i were to go up and just like start reading my blessing to say like my sister uh -huh. not the one that i just talked about but my other sister who is still a true believing mormon she would probably freak out a little bit it's and like you, i'm not supposed to know what your blessing is about yeah it, it, yeah it is I, and i could totally see her say that yeah. <laughs> um, so I found a talk by um, James E. Faust. It, this was given in 1980, right around the time that this mm -hmm. thing was written. Um, but he and tries so to this, explain it. At this time, he was an apostle in the Mormon Church, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, he might. Is he in the First Presidency at this point? In 1980, I don't, I don't think so. Be. Like at, oh, at yeah, this he was point, later after I was born. In 1980, I think it was still President Kimball, mm -hmm. and then I think McConkie and Hinckley were his counselors. Okay. I think. Or I so, think something like that. Right. I seem to recall a picture from the Hoffman era mm -hmm. with uh, with those people as the first presidency, <laughs> which uh, maybe we should do a segment on Hoffman sometime and talk about how he duped the Mormon church into buying all of those uh, forged historical documents. That would be good. And then killed a bunch of people to cover up his tracks. That'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mark, Mark Hoffman, I think. I don't know. Anyway. Back on track. Back on track. So um, so he gave this talk to uh, um, BYU students in 1980. And it, I'm assuming this talk, this subject came up because there were questions surrounding um, the lineage and stuff and how that worked. Um, so he tries to explain the occurrence of different members of the family being given different tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says that the blood of one tribe, therefore, may be dominant in one child and the blood of another tribe dominant in another child. So children from the same parents could belong to different tribes. So does that actually so, explain anything to you? This was his so answer. Th so he's trying to draw genetic information into the equation to explain why children have different tribes? That's so confusing to me. After I thought about this for a while... Um, I kind of came to the conclusion that I think he 
is trying to make um, like the like the dominant blood kind of like a spirit animal type thing like mm. so I'm born I was born like um, with a more with a quieter nature than like my sister was mm. and so I would have a different like blood like a different thing that was dominant in my blood than my sister would and so we could be from different tribes that way that's kind of how like if I was uh. told this as a true believing Mormon still, this is how I would wrap my head around it. Like I would try and think of hmm. it as like something kind of like a spirit animal. Like it's not a literal thing in my blood. It's just, uh-huh. I have the traits of this person in the tribe. And so that's why I was adopted into this tribe while she was adopted into another tribe. Okay. To me, it sounds like he's saying that the house of Manasseh is a recessive gene. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I, there are actually a couple of quotes in here that don't like specifically say Manasseh, but it's heavily implied that Ephraim is the chosen tribe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> from like Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. That would make sense. Um, let's see. Okay, so the lineage issue, um, it also calls into question like those that aren't born under the covenant, and you kind of touched on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so Native Americans and African Americans would fall into that category. Um, and in the early church, especially um, once Brigham Young became prophet, race became a huge issue. Yeah. It's like when Joseph he was Smith, a racist. he was yeah by today's standards he was a racist even by then he he was probably a racist mm. but in joseph smith's time like there were like blacks did have the priesthood they were allowed to get patriarchal blessings but as soon as brigham young was made the prophet like all of that went out the window um so from that point in time till 1978 blacks couldn't even get a patriarchal blessing so they could get a blessing they wouldn't be um given a tribe Hmm. which okay to me that doesn't i mean it is a big deal in mormonism that you don't get a tribe but like you're still receiving blessings so it's just it's weird to me that the lineage is harped on so much like it's this huge thing Mm -hmm. and you still have no idea like exactly what it means yeah it's like does it mean that you're more righteous you know it's just it's weird um yeah they don't really specify it very well yeah so Brigham Young commented that, this is a quote directly from him, Ephraim has become mixed with all the nations of the earth, and it is Ephraim that is gathering together. It is Ephraim that I have been searching for all the days of my preaching, and that is the blood which ran in my veins when I embraced the gospel. Um, Joseph Fielding Smith um, also held to the belief that the majority of those who have received the gospel and the priesthood in the latter days were descendants of Ephraim. Um no person who is not of Israel can become a member of the church without becoming of the house of Israel by adoption. So you either have to be born into the house of Israel or you have to be adopted into it. Mm-hmm. And again, Ephraim is, even then, Ephraim was the house. Yeah. Which is weird and just random. It's like Harry Potter and the house is there. No one wants to be in Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Gryffindor and Slytherin. Uh, I don't know. Sorry, that was completely random. Um... Oh, there it is. Okay. So this um, is a quote from Joseph Smith. He said, As the Holy Ghost falls upon one of the literal seed of Abraham, it is calm and serene, while the effect of the Holy Ghost upon a Gentile is to purge out the old blood and make him, make him actually of the seed of Abraham. That man that has none of the blood of Abraham naturally must have a new creation by the Holy Ghost. Is he suggesting that the Holy Ghost can actually change your physical blood? Yeah. 
that's what that's <clears throat> what it sounds like, right? That's what it sounds like. Yeah, it's like someone that is not born under the covenant has tainted blood, and mm-hmm. as soon as you are baptized into the church and you receive your tribe, that is when the Holy Ghost can change your blood, and you now have like this righteous holy blood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I mean, I. I'd probably say that's not necessarily the thought of the church these days, but it it's similar to that. Well, it, I, it seems like they're kind of mixing in, like, folk superstitions, mm-hmm. like, about what blood is, like, the supernatural qualities of mm-hmm. blood, into their religion. You yeah. know, and, be, and because our culture doesn't really look at blood in, like, a magical sense anymore, mm-hmm. the church is not kind of backing away from that stuff right. and focusing on more of the I guess metaphorical adoption kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. it's not actually changing your physical blood right um so yeah um blacks in the church has also always been a touchy subject in the church to this day it's still very touchy um but in a 1972 interview that president harold b lee um gave he said quote skin color is not what keeps the negro from the priesthood it is strictly a matter a matter of lineage and involves only African Negroes. In comparison, Wait, he noted different kinds of Negroes. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> In comparison, he noted dark or black islanders such as Fijians, Tongans, Samoans, or Maoris are all permitted full rights to the priesthood. Uh, because they're Lamanites. Exactly. <laughs> and initially, when I read this, I didn't make that connection. Uh-huh. But when I reread it, like preparing for this, I was like. Oh my gosh, that's because they think that these islanders are an offshoot of the people that left Jerusalem and came to America. Right. Like, they literally think that they are Jews. Yep. And that's why they are allowed to get their patriarchal blessings and get their lineage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, because traditionally... Because they're direct lines. Yeah, so traditionally, if I understand correctly, um, Africans, like blacks from Africa... Mm-hmm. Um, were viewed as outside of the Israelite, um, you know, family, I guess. The, and they were part of the Canaanites, and uh, then there's the Persians, right? There were different uh, nations, different mm-hmm. tribes. And then the Israelites, according to Mormons, went to America. And then from there, some of them went to the Pacific Islands. Mm-hmm. And so th- the Pacific Islanders and the Native Americans all came from Jerusalem. They're Jews, therefore, of the House of Israel. Mm-hmm. And yeah that is just ridiculous mm-hmm. and it is it is completely contrary to what we understand based on the evidence which is that people went from africa up into the middle east some some people went up into uh europe and then other people went across asia mm-hmm. over to like china and, and russia and all that india and then from there went down into like indonesia malaysia into Australia and mm-hmm. then into the Pacific Islands. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the complete opposite direction of what the Book of Mormon says happened. Mm-hmm. Like, the Book of Mormon could not have been more wrong on that point. Right. Seriously. <laughs> Maybe if they said they went over the North Pole. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a fun little bit of Mormon folklore that some of the tribes of Israel, the lost tribes of Israel, live at the North Pole. That was something that you learned. That's not yes. something that I learned. It, it's it's not commonly held these days. It's a, it's one of those little remnants of uh, you know ancient, or not ancient, but like older culture. Theories. Yeah, conspiracy theories from yeah, just people who don't really know mm-hmm. uh, uh, very much about it, and so they kind of speculate. There's another mm-hmm. theory, similar kind of theory, that some of the lost tribes live in the center of the earth. 
you know, <laughs> or in caves at very pla- various places. Yeah, I never heard any of those until I started talking to you about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so thematic changes. These ones are kind of obvious. So up until 1890, when the manifesto um, uh, that ended polygamy came out, Obviously, in these blessings, there were lots of blessings given to men that were told that they would have lots of wives. Mm. They would have huge amounts of posterity. Um, Because that was a a very important thing to these people. Yeah. This was how you got into the celestial kingdom at this point. Like, you had to have multiple wives. It Mm. was the men's duty to marry women so that they could bring their families into the celestial kingdom. A woman could not enter, and still can't, unless she's married. But in this case, you had to be married multiple times. Um, and then another change um, centered around the millennium. So millennium is still kind of a big deal in the church, but they've kind of been moving away from like declaring that we are the last generation or that we um, are living in the last days. Um, but I mean, in the 19th century, like that was a big thing. Like it's the end of the world. Mm-hmm. We are living the last days, even in evangelical circles. Like oh, yeah. it's a, it was a huge thing. And Mormons just kept it going for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Um, um, let's see. So one of the quotes, um, so she, the lady that did this actually got her hands on quite a few patriarchal blessings. It was like in the 700s or something, which is kind of impressive considering you're supposed to keep this secret. Did she say how she managed that? Um, if you don't know, it's fine. I'm just curious. Some of them, some of them she was, um, given like from family members that had kept them. Um, and then just people that were willing to share them, mostly. Okay. Um, apparently, the church does have copies of the patriarchal blessings in, like, the building downtown headquarters. or whatever. And headquarters. Yeah. But I don't think she got them from there. Um, but let's see. This quote. Thou shalt stand in the flesh and witness the winding up scene of this generation. Thou shalt remain on earth to behold thy Savior come in clouds of heaven. And this was something that was pretty common mm. for people to receive. Kind of like how... I was told that I would go to the celestial kingdom and that I would have a long life. Mm-hmm. Like it was pretty similar then, except they were told specifically that they would see the end, the end times. Right. And when when was this said? This is in the nineteenth century. So between like, time period is between eighteen thirty three and eighteen ninety nine. Okay. And obviously that didn't happen. That didn't happen. <laughs> 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 um, well, this is also during a period of time when. Uh, lots of people were making end times predictions mm-hmm. and wasn't it uh i think it was the seventh day adventists yeah who who uh predicted a particular date that was, there was going to be the end of the world mm-hmm. and then they all gathered up on top of a hill mm-hmm. uh, on that day and like waited all day for christ to come meet them on that hill mm-hmm. and then it didn't happen right and they just kept pushing it back and they just kept pushing it back but i mean um I mean, think about, I mean, what, what would go through their mind after that had happened, after going through an experience like that? Like, for me, I would start to question whether or not this religion was actually true. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, obviously the religion is still here. It's still around. Mm-hmm. People believe it. If It's actually growing faster than the Mormon church, mm-hmm. um, especially in, like, Europe and, uh, I think, Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people apparently don't think that a failed end times prediction um, is that damning to a religion, <laughs> which I, d- I don't understand that. <laughs> which most religions would probably be gone if that was the case. <laughs> and this is exactly why most religions don't make these kinds of predictions. Especially these days. Yeah. Um, 
So how you so you were given blessings like the power of discernment. We went over healing mm-hmm. powers. So back in the 19th century, it was really common for people to receive very specific blessings that were like on par with miracles that happened in the Bible, which is something that doesn't happen anymore. So they would mm. receive um, blessings and say that they would be able to part waters. They would be able to move mountains. They would be able to, um, uh-huh. um, at thy word, the wind shall be stayed. Um, Do they have any instances of this actually happening? <laughs> no, and that's the thing. Like, no one was ever able to do any of this. And another yeah. one, uh, another, she says, several recipients were told that if you desire it with your whole heart, you shall not taste of death, but shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye and caught up to meet the Lord. So a lot of people were told that you don't have to die if you don't want to mm-hmm. or you will have an extended life like you will be over a hundred years old by mm-hmm. the time you die and i mean this is in the 19th century when right. that just really doesn't happen i mean they didn't have oh, yeah. the medical life expectancy yeah. was what like 40 50 something like that yeah so it's just interesting and the, the church has moved far away from that like mm-hmm. i'm kind of surprised we even got those specific blessings yeah. even though they're pretty generic yeah, in a you specific know. generic kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> specific for any man that holds the priesthood. Right. Um, so blessings for women also kind of changed. Like um, in the early beginnings of the church, women were allowed to have certain kinds of um, priesthood powers. They mm. were allowed to like do um, healing blessings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the time that was conditional, like you had to be married to a man who held the priesthood or you could only perform these blessings if um, if an elder or a priesthood holder wasn't present. Mm. And she speculates that this was because this is a time of the pioneers when men are like still going on missions and leaving their wives and like multiple children right. alone and to travel the plains. And so they needed some kind of comfort to know that they would still be able to you know, heal their families what a, what and stuff. What an awful situation. Seriously. Like, I can't believe they actually asked people to do that. Yeah. So it's interesting, though, because these... Because blessings like that are both empowering and restricting at the same time, which is kind of interesting. And yeah. it's changed now. Women don't receive anything like that. It all focuses on the nurture aspect right. of a woman. It's, you will be a mother. You will have lots of children. You mm. will see them grow up righteously in the church. You will see them go on missions. You will mm. see them go through the temple. Things like that. Well, I mean, when we did the episode where we talked about the uh, newest the newest essays from the mm. LES Church about, uh, what was it, uh, woman in the priesthood and then heavenly mother, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Um, that was one of the things that they kept driving home was that women, uh, like, women kind of get to borrow priesthood authority in certain situations or whatever, mm-hmm. but they also made the point saying that a lot of these instances that people are pointing to were in early church history mm-hmm. of women using priesthood power to give a blessing or do this or that. Um, it was actually based on a misinterpretation. Like mm-hmm. you don't understand what they were doing mm-hmm. because words have changed their definitions now. Mm-hmm. So what we understand as using the priesthood is different than what they say they use the priesthood for. Right. And it's kind of like a weaseling out, mm-hmm. I think. Like I, I think it's oh, disingenuous. it totally is. Yeah, like they're completely... Uh, negating what mm-hmm. they say they did mm-hmm. and saying that they did something different. Right. <laughs> so another interesting thing about um, patriarchal blessings for women in the 19th century revolved again around polygamy. Mm-hmm. So you know how in Doctrine and Covenants, um, section 132 is kind of a mm-hmm. revelation to Emma. 
you know, that she needs yeah. to accept it. By revelation, we, of course, mean a chastisement. A chastisement <laughs> by Joseph Smith to his wife for disagreeing yeah. with and him wanting to be a God. Yeah. But a lot of women, um, besides Emma, had doubts about polygamy. I mean, who, who wouldn't? wouldn't? Yeah, especially you have to the share women. your husband. Especially the women. <laughs> you know? Um, especially in this time period where it's like sexual chastity is a huge thing. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, even more so than it is today. Like, yeah. And then suddenly you have to share your man with a whole bunch of other women and you know what he's doing. Yep. And, and he's uh, commanded by God to do it. Yeah. And you have to accept it. So a lot of... Um, <laughs> A lot of the blessings to women who, um, like, had these questions, mm -hmm. um, they called them, what did they call them, strange? It was probably just, like, strange questions. Um, so one one that she included um, to uh, Lavinia Dame, the patriarch said, Although thy fears have troubled thee and doubts have arisen because of strange questions that have troubled thee, this has become a matter of talk and conversation between thee and thy husband. Yet because of the integrity of his heart and because of thy desires to do right, thou hast made thyself content and desire to become reconciled to thy fate and to the will of God. So, you know, basically mm -hmm. saying, this is something you have to do. No. <laughs> you know, if you want to be righteous, you have to allow your husband to marry other people. And that's more or less what section 132 says to emma yeah it's exactly like, if you don't accept this you will be destroyed mm -hmm. so. yeah um and then okay so some of these policies and practices that i didn't know i honestly didn't know patriarchal blessings was a thing in the 19th century i thought that was a more recent thing okay so i didn't know how it was done then but apparently back then like anyone could get a blessing a patriarchal mm -hmm. blessing even non-members and they have huh. a few accounts of non-members specifically requesting a patriarchal blessing because they could see that it made other people happy and they wanted to experience that same oh. feeling of like hope and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so non-members were able to Everybody get Everybody wants the placebo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and also, you could get more than one. You could receive one oh. any time you, you wanted one. So it was just like a regular blessing, kind of. Basically, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was a regular blessing, but it was called the patriarchal blessing and it was still, I think, recorded and stuff. Interesting. Um, and then also patriarchs at that time were paid to give blessings. Hmm. It was, I don't even remember. Well, no wonder they were giving people multiple blessings. Right. And <laughs> it's funny because it's, um, that practice eventually stopped because um, these people, you can get multiple blessings and the patriarchs were getting paid. And so the patriarchs were going door to door. They potentially, they were basically door to door salesmen mm -hmm. selling their blessings and like trying to undersell like the next patriarch so they could get wow. all of the blessings. That sounds like a televangelist saying that if you mm -hmm. give me money, I will, I will heal you from, you know, this studio, this recording studio, mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. you know, or if you send in a $20 donation, we'll mail you some holy water or a napkin that we prayed over. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, that, those are basically the biggest changes. Now it's a lot more um, strict. Like I said, you have to have... It seems very formal. Now. Yeah, it's very mm -hmm. formal. You have to have an interview with the bishop and you have to have a recommend. Similar to like going to the temple. You have to get a recommend mm -hmm. from your bishop or stake president then too. And they're basically the same questions that you're asked. Mm -hmm. And then um, generally you'll have an interview also with the patriarch. And then the patriarch... And then you get your blessing. But it's like, it's very regulated. Yeah. You can only receive one. So that's basically all I have to say. 
I thought it was pretty interesting. Cool. All right, so that's it for patriarchal blessings, mm -hmm. seems like. Um, so one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about with uh, patriarchal blessings is the way that people, um, the way that they look at it, the way that they interpret what they are, are told in these blessings is very similar to what people see in horoscopes, in palm readings, mm -hmm. in fortune telling, tarot, tarot cards, like all of these sorts of things are just different ways for people to get the same kind of reassurances mm -hmm. Um, we had talked about kind of going through some different horoscopes. I, I forgot to bring up examples, so maybe that's something we can do another day. But uh, before we get to Sylvia Brown, um, which is which is a, she was a psychic. She was a, a person who claimed to talk to dead people. Mm. She claimed to be able to uh, you know predict certain things about different people in in much the same kind of way as a patriarchal blessing does. But uh, she gets a little bit more specific in a lot of ways, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit um, later. But before we get to that, mm -hmm. um, I found a, a different kind of palm reading that I had never heard of before. Now, Corinne says that she, you, you had seen this kind mm -hmm. of thing before. Yeah. I haven't um, read this particular. You haven't thing. read this particular one that I found. Um, I thought it would be kind of fun mm -hmm. uh, to read the different descriptions and have you predict what, which one is applicable to me. Okay. I thought that that would be kind of fun. Okay. So let me pull that up. So in this this uh, form of palm reading or hand reading or whatever, they have three different pictures labeled A, B, C, and what it's what it's comparing is the length of the index finger to the length of the ring finger, and it's saying that if your index finger is longer than your ring finger, then you have these particular traits. If your ring finger is longer than your index finger, then you have these other traits. Or if they're level, like the same length, then you have different traits, okay? So, uh, I'm going to read the first one. Um, so this is number A, or letter A. Number A. Number A. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so people who have a ring finger that is longer than the index finger tend to be more charming and in some instances even irresistible. Often you can talk yourself out of most sticky situations. You can sometimes be aggressive when pushed too far. You are very competitive and you are good at games and solving puzzles. People will often come to you for advice. You are wise and intelligent and love to learn new things. Okay, so that's the first one. That's for a ring finger being longer than the index finger. B. If your ring finger is shorter than the index fingers, the likelihood is you are the no-hassle confident type. That's kind of a weird sentence. Um, you can be very laid back and it takes a lot to rattle you. You are often, or you are objective driven and when you are working on something you don't want to be disturbed. You see things through to the end you are an ambitious go-getter and hard worker. You can always be relied upon to help a friend in need. So that's for having a, an index finger longer than the ring finger. Okay? Number C. <laughs> uh, if your two fingers are equal in length, you like to keep the peace and try to avoid conflict at all costs. 
You are generally well organized, quiet, calm, and loyal to your relationships with partners and friends. Deep down, you are known to have a prickly core, and if people get on the wrong side of you, this can be unleashed. This is often unexpected, or un this is often unsuspected and can take people by surprise. Family and friends mean everything to you, and you can be very protective of them. All right, so now I have to guess which one I think you are. Right, so which one of those do you think most applies to me? <clears throat> A and B sound closest okay. to you, but let's see, your ring finger is shorter. I'm going to say B. So B... That your ring finger is shorter than the index finger. Okay. You ready? Yeah. So your ring finger is longer on your right hand. Is it longer on the left hand? <laughs> kind of. Okay. I almost guessed that one. So it's A. So it's A. <laughs> <laughs> you can talk yourself. So you're supposed to be charming and in some instances, even irresistible. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Often you can talk to yourself out of the most sticky situations. You can be aggressive when you're pushed too far. I can get that. <laughs> but I don't see you as a very competitive person. Uh -huh. And you're, you're, you're good at games and solving puzzles, though. Mm. <laughs> That's so funny. Which one do you think I am? Which one do I think you are? Mm -hmm. um, based completely on this, I would probably say C. I think mine is longer too. Your my ring finger. ring finger. They're pretty close. They are really close on that one. On this one, it's a lot oh, more yeah, obvious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so depending on which hand you look at. <laughs> well, these the the picture uses left hands, so I don't, I don't know if that makes a difference. <laughs> so on my right hand, I would be B. Mm -hmm. I would. I'm very laid back, and it takes a lot to rattle me. But if we go with my left hand, I am very charming and irresistible, mm. which I, is not true. <laughs> I think out of all three of those, I'd be closer to <coughs> C. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, like you said, well-organized, quiet, calm, loyal. That's definitely closer to what I am. <laughs> <laughs> so based on our completely scientific test that we did, our not quite double blind, but... Um, Close anyway, enough. yeah. So O for two. So <laughs> yeah. Sounds like O for two. Uh -huh. Not exactly accurate, but I mean, the, this is like the sort of thing that you would see in horoscopes and and palm readings, those sorts of things, where they they uh, they try to keep things generalized. They try to um, you know say that you have these good traits over here, but you can also have these bad traits mm -hmm. over here, and it's, and they're all the sorts of things that at at different times will apply to anybody. Right. You know, like... Like, I have characteristics in each one of those. So if I yep. was someone that believed in this, I'd be like, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. It you, would seem yeah, trippy. It's so weird. Yeah. I you, am good at puzzles. <laughs> yeah, if you buy into this kind of thing, this will, will strike you as uh, hitting too close to the mark mm -hmm. to be just a coincidence. Yeah. But all it is, is is just, you know, stating things in a very vague kind of way and then allowing the person to read into it. Right, that are common characteristics in just about everyone. Yeah, <laughs> and, and they apply their own personality traits to what they're reading, mm -hmm. and, and then they, yeah, their mind just kind of runs wild with it. Right. So that kind of mentality of reading into 
what people are saying in a vague kind of way um, it is it, it ties in perfectly I think with Sylvia Brown who I, who we're going to talk about now um, Corinne did a lot of research not a lot she did some research <laughs> into Sylvia Brown who who uh, was a very popular um, psychic in the 90s I think it was she was on like the Montel Williams show she went around to you know different um, TV shows daytime TV shows to uh, you know give people advice and uh, make predictions she's also been involved in a lot of detective work psychic detectives yeah so she was a psychic detective for a while um, and as as we were talking about this I, I recalled an incident that had happened uh, a while back where um, a, a, a mother went to one of these shows and Sylvia Brown told her that her missing daughter, her teenage daughter that was uh, kidnapped, um, was dead. And that she should, should stop looking and all that kind of stuff. And so the mother did that. She took the advice seriously and stopped looking, called off the investigation and all that kind of stuff. And several years later, they found this girl and she came out and like exposed um the con more or less that well, Sylvia Brown was using. The girl, the girl saw <clears throat> the TV show. Oh, did she? I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I didn't. I didn't. And that's how that they connected the whole Sylvia Brown thing. Right. Um. So the interesting thing uh, is that I I couldn't quite remember the details of that story. Mm -hmm. So I I wanted to look it up to to find it mm -hmm. for the segment and and like say like the you know the details get them right and. I didn't find the, the particular story that I had in mind, but what I did find was a whole website from, uh, it, it's a, an affiliate um, of the Center for Inquiry. Okay. Um, let me pull it up, actually. So the actual website is csicop.org. Um, it's the city, or sorry, the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. This is affiliated with the Center for Inquiry. And they have a list of over a hundred cases that Sylvia Brown got wrong. Where Sylvia Brown said certain things to police or to uh, you know, family members of victims um, trying to like, you know, give them clues how to find the person or find the body and got everything wrong and actually made things worse in a lot of cases so it just kind of illustrates the point that she doesn't know what she's talking about she's taking advantage of people and she's using all of this to make money mm -hmm. um she she has uh died she she died a couple of years ago mm -hmm. if i remember correctly um <clears throat> but yeah she she left a huge wake of of uh, lots of people that just like the, their lives just in, in one way or another got ruined because she was trying to dupe them into believing that she was a psychic and that she could help them. Um, so that's kind of the more serious <laughs> um, aspect of this particular woman um, and psychics in general is that there is a real cost, there is real harm that can be done mm -hmm. when people take their advice seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and again, tying this back to patriarchal blessings, there are people that have had specific things mentioned in patriarchal blessings and they make important life decisions based on those things and then things go awry. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't want this to end on the sad note. Like it's more just, you know, be aware, like like there are real consequences to these, these things. Uh, it's not just this harmless little 
um, thing that people just kind of buy into that's kind of quirky. Like it's a real thing that people really believe and they really make life choices based on this. Mm-hmm. But um, so we found a book at the library. Quite a few books. Quite a few books. But this is the one we checked out. <laughs> right. So so what is this book that we found? Okay. So this is um, from Sylvia Brown. It's called Afterlives of the Rich and Famous. <laughs> Again, there were quite a few books we could have chosen. This one just was the most entertaining to me, since I was going to be the one reading most of it. Right. So what is the the premise of this book? So the premise of this is that she, um, Sylvia Brown, um, has an interview with uh, some other lady. I don't know what her name is. Um, And this lady just asks Sylvia Brown all these questions about celebrities that have passed on. And she gives information about what they're doing in the afterlife. Right. So Sylvia Brown claims to be in communication mm-hmm. with dead celebrities. Yeah, more or less. More or less. So, okay, in her introduction, which I did read, um, I didn't read this cover to cover. I picked and cho- chose. Wow, that sounds awful. I think the word is chosen. I chosen. <laughs> <laughs> I picked and chosen <laughs> um, specific things to read. But I did read the introduction just because... I never, I didn't hear of Sylvia Brown until very recently. I had no idea who this lady was. Yeah. Um, so in the introduction, she, <laughs> she um, points out that she was born a psychic. Um, As you so are. <laughs> she could see from a very early age spirits walking around. She couldn't um, hear them or anything until she was like about eight years old. And that is when she first had communication with who she calls Francine, mm-hmm. who is her like spirit guide or whatever from the other side so is francine a, a dead person uh she doesn't really say clear on that but some kind of apparition yeah i mean just gather just from what i gather from um reading this like she francine i would assume is a person that has was alive before and is just a spirit in uh-huh. the afterlife right now that may or may not at some point reincarnate Okay. She's a believer in reincarnation. Mm-hmm. She thinks that everyone on this earth has been alive before. Except for one person that she mentioned in the book. <laughs> right. James Dean. James Dean. A couple of them actually <laughs> don't ever reincarnate. Okay. They only incarnate. But, but in general, people come to earth multiple yeah. times. You and... have the option to relive lives and to uh-huh. be different people. Um, let's see. What else? What else? What else? So Francine is accompanying Sylvia through this lifetime. Um, as a result of a mutual agreement that they made at home. And home, for Sylvia Brown, she uses that throughout this entire book, is basically heaven. It's the afterlife. She just calls it home. Okay. Oh, and she says, So we made this agreement at home before I decided to come to Earth again for the 52nd and last time. So she won't reincarnate. So if anyone, (laughs) like today, says that they are channeling Sylvia Brown or that Uh she's been reincarnated, they... They don't know what they're talking about. They're charlatans. They have no idea. That's, that's an interesting fail-safe to put in place. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, that's Yeah, that's mostly why I wanted to point that out. Um, yeah, that's about all you need to know in the introduction. Just that... So, all the information she gets about the celebrities in the past life is from Francine. She channels Francine. Francine, um, when she was younger, according to Sylvia, would talk to her, and Sylvia would have to listen to her, and mm. Francine's voice was like... She describes it as being chipmunk-like and super high-pitched, and it was mm. something she didn't like to listen to. It's like listening to Alvin and the chipmunks talk yeah. to you all the time. Yeah. 
And so they finally reached this agreement where Francine would inhabit Sylvia's body while her spirit, like, took a step out. So Francine is mm-hmm. using Sylvia's body to speak. So you hear Sylvia's voice, but it's actually Francine. Right, which is called channeling. Right? Yeah. Some people call that channeling. Yeah. I'm pretty sure she calls it channeling, too. Okay. Um, so the way the rest of the book is set up, she has it split up into um, different celebrities. Famous people, mostly people that, um, you know, anyone would be familiar with. I can't remember exactly how many it is, but it's like 40, 50 celebrities that she talks to or whatever, or um, channels information from. Um, So, like, she has Paul Newman in here. She does uh, James Dean. There's Chris Farley, Clark Gable, Cary Mm. Grant, Catherine Hepburn, like, people of this ilk. Right. Like, super... Super celebrities. <laughs> right. Not, not just people that are well-known. Like, mm-hmm. people that are beloved yeah. by uh, their fans. Mm-hmm. Like, they have a, a cult following a right. lot of these people. So, it's set up where she has it all, like I said, broken up into the various celebrities. So, she'll start off... She compiled, like, her own version of a biography for these people. So, it starts off with a very short biography of them that you can read. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into... Um, it's labeled from Francine and it's all in italics. So anything that's in italics is what Francine is channeling okay. to Sylvia or whatever. And I don't know. It's just... It's I, kind of a ridiculous way to write a book. It is so ridiculous because this is, this is an interview that a lady is doing. Mm-hmm. She is sitting in the same room with a tape recorder uh-huh. asking Francine questions uh-huh. who is answering through Sylvia. After right. Sylvia has done a bunch of research on, on these, these celebrities and compiled right. a biography. <laughs> so it's like that hot reading that we were talking about. Exactly. That patriarchs would, would do mm-hmm. before they give their blessing. Yeah. 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 Um, and what's interesting about a lot of these is that, like, you read the biography and then when you read the what Francine has to say, most of it is just reflected, like, whatever they're doing in the afterlife is pretty much what they did on Earth. Or, mm-hmm. like, like, for instance, Paul Newman was an actor... But he also ran this huge charity, Newman's oh. own. Mm. And so in the afterlife, he doesn't want to be an actor anymore. He focuses more on like the charity aspect of things. Oh. So she picks and chooses. So in the afterlife, there's charities? <laughs> yeah. We can get into <laughs> a lot of things that apparently are in the afterlife. Um, but there's also this thing that she calls the scanning machine, which um, after you die, you go through the tunnel and you come out and you go into what she calls the scanning machine and you just sit there and you watch your entire life on replay. Mm-hmm. The entire thing. Not snippets. You right. watch it from birth to death. <laughs> and in, you're supposed to... Like, in real time. Yeah. You're supposed to be able to like learn like what you did wrong or like... I don't know. So, just, so does that mean then that you can't reincarnate until... Um, like say, for instance, if you live to be 45 years old, you have to be dead for 45 years before you can come back? I guess because it takes at least that long to watch this video. Yeah, she doesn't. I mean, she doesn't <laughs> specify that you watch it in real time, but she alludes to that. But since time is so different up in heaven, mm. like if he watched it from birth to death, what would be forty-five years here might only be like five minutes there. You okay. know, Mormons hold that same belief. Right. They say I don't a, know about a other thousand religions. years is a, a day to God. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Um. Which is just a nice little way to wiggle out of it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let me see. Let me pull up a couple of these. So one that was interesting was (laughs) she um, did George Carlin. Oh, yes. 
Do you want to explain kind of who George Carlin is? So George Carlin was a, a stand-up comedian, and he, he was very... Uh, he's, he's like... Uh, they sometimes describe him as the comedian's comedian. Like, he's a classic stand-up comedian. He follows the classic routine techniques. But he's, he's just kind of one of those guys that that draws you in he's captivating he's got a lot of charisma mm-hmm. um and he he would work into his act a lot of philosophy he would work in his personal religious beliefs and he had a lot of very scathing things to say about religion and about god mm-hmm. there's a couple uh clips on youtube that are very popular mm-hmm. uh, you look up george carlin on god um and yeah like he had a lot of really mean things to say about Christianity and and uh, their version of God in the Old Testament. And anyways, but he he was also probably most famous for the seven dirty words. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he talked a lot about censorship. He was a big advocate for uh, using profanity as a way of expressing yourself. Um, so yeah, so he, he's a hardcore atheist. He's very profane in his act. Mm-hmm. He talks about very controversial things, and he's. Uh, yeah, he indicts religion a lot. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting about this is that she does admit that he was an atheist in this life. Um, okay, <laughs> I'm quoting. George is an excellent example of the fact that atheists are embraced on the other side as surely as the most devoutly religious, and with his humor, self-honesty, and misguided but honorable intentions, he tried to live a godly lifetime, no matter what words he used to define it. So that's in the beginning of what she has to say about him. And then at the very end, the very last two sentences, she says, he's also very devoted to study and meditation on the charts of his own lifetimes. So he's been reincarnated multiple times. Right. And she has this, she believes that um, before you incarnate or reincarnate you map out what your life is going to be like so you determine what hardships you're going to experience what traits you're going to have like you basically are the creator of your life so she's saying that a person that is born and uh, has leukemia and dies at the age of seven basically chose that for them chose that life basically that is terrible i don't know if she thinks that like specifically they chose that hardship Mm -hmm. but they choose like certain traits that they're going to have Uh and like that they will have like a difficult life or something like she talks about johnny carson doing that and the more you read the celebrities the more information you kind of pick up but i don't know nothing again nothing is specific she just alludes to a lot of this stuff anyway yeah back to the quote so he um he's very devoted to study and meditation on the charts of his own lifetimes intent on tracking the onset of his avowed atheism in an effort to learn how he grew to be so loudly outspokenly wrong about the existence of God. (laughs) Which is just funny. Also, he has no plans to reincarnate again. Why would he? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's just interesting. She, um, for a lot of these people, she points out like their spiritual traits and that that's what they focus on in the afterlife. She like in Mm. a lot of them, she brings in religion and Christianity and Catholicism specifically in a couple of them. Mm. Um, God is very central to this. Yeah. Uh, Which is just funny to me because, well, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm coming at it from, you know, the Mormon perspective where there isn't really much room for a psychic, mm -hmm. you know, like patriarchal blessings are about, as, as uh, psychic as you get and mm-hmm. that's still just incredibly vague and generalized it's like sylvia brown gets into specifics a lot of times mm-hmm. um although it sounds like in this particular book she's 
either being super vague or she's just talking about stuff that everybody knows anyway. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so a couple of other people that are interesting, and especially in her version of what heaven is. Um, so Rock Hudson. Mm-hmm. Um, again, he was a pretty famous um, actor. He died from AIDS. And then there's okay, yeah. Farrah Fawcett, mm-hmm. who died of cancer. I believe it was like a rectal cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Catherine Hepburn, who didn't die. Of, she, I think she died fairly naturally. Um, so nothing horrific. Old, yeah, nothing horrific. But so what? what's common with these three celebrities is that things that they were interested in or that they died from, mm-hmm. the, in the afterlife, they are um, participating in research to look for cures. <laughs> so Rock Hudson is involved with a team of people that's looking for a cure for AIDS. Farrah Fawcett is involved with a team that's looking for a cure for cancer. And then Catherine Hepburn is doing, is looking, um, is helping develop a cure for epilepsy. So, so let me get this straight. So, in heaven or home, mm-hmm. um, people come and go, come down to earth, and then go back, and they can do different things. They mm-hmm. can do some of the same things. There is a God, mm-hmm. okay, an all-knowing, omnipotent God, apparently. Or does she? But what's does she not interesting think is that? she never actually like says like references God. It's just religion and spirituality. Okay. So she's a little bit nebulous with it. Yeah. Okay. But but the point is, there is a God somewhere in the afterlife. Yeah, I'd be willing to bet, yeah. Okay. Um, so why are people doing research? Exactly. Well, especially because in, <laughs> I think it's um, in Farah's, she says, so she, so they're doing research for cancer. This, I guess this is the one mention she does of God. God has made a promise that at some point in time, he will... Um, take away all of these things like cancer and AIDS uh-huh. but they're still doing the research for it despite this promise that he's going to take it away so it just begs the question why are you doing What's the, the research point? Yeah. right later on in some of these celebrities she makes um, she refers to something that she calls infusion um, I finally kind of picked up on this with the Albert Einstein one Okay. <laughs> um, he's doing research on time travel by the way of course. <laughs> um, um, so she talks about infusion, and I think the reason that they're doing research, at least in her explanation of research into AIDS, is that they infuse that into people that are about to reincarnate, and they will take the knowledge that they have researched and help promote it on Earth. Does that kind of make sense? So, so, so that's that, their method of transfer? Yeah. So Farrah Fawcett is researching cancer, and so someone, they've chosen someone, let's call him Bob. Bob will reincarnate. Oh. Uh-huh like in three years and grow up to be a cancer research person. And so everything that they researched while he was in heaven mm-hmm. will come out on earth. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it's just so ridiculous. Think, yeah, it is ridiculous. <laughs> it makes sense. It's just retarded. Right. Again, because <laughs> of the whole idea that God has promised to take it all away. Oh. So you're you're making, you're, you're, you're saying you're going to take this research even though you know that eventually it'll be taken away. So what's the point of you doing the research? Yeah. You're going to try to take it away before God does? Right. Another interesting thing about Catherine Hepburn is that she called herself an atheist, which is interesting uh-huh. for the time period, too, for her, because that was That's definitely true. frowned upon. Um, she doesn't really make any huge claims about her with that. But... Oh, Elvis is kind of interesting because he began his new in- incarnation in late November 2004. So Elvis has reincarnated oh. as a blonde-haired blue-eyed Frenchman who will have a beautiful singing voice. Oh, but he will not be a famous singer or recording artist again. He will devote his voice and his talent as a composer to his devout Catholicism, (laughs) writing hymns and performing them solely for church services and special events. 
He feels that he sacrificed depth and introspection for fame and wealth in his last life. And in this new life, he intends to contribute to this world in quiet, thoughtful, charitable anonymity by becoming a monk and working oh with the gosh. poor throughout the French countryside. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just kind of funny. Uh. Yeah, and then Albert Einstein, one of his greatest passions right now is to unlock the secrets of time travel. And he believes that by the 2040s, in our years, time travel will be common through what he calls such global flus as the Bermuda Triangle. And one of the recipients of these infusions, which I tried to explain just a minute ago, oh. um, is uh, beginning in approximately 2018, will be a young man at Duke University mm-hmm. whose name is Bernard or, well, it's just two different versions of Bernard, I guess, just two different spellings. Bernard and Bernard. Bernard, yeah. <laughs> it's just interesting because some and some of these she makes like actual like claims. Claims. Yeah. You know the kind of claims that uh, conceivably could be tested. Yeah. Like falsified. This one in like three mm-hmm. years. <laughs> yeah. We can say okay that was wrong, <laughs> and then I don't know there were a couple but, of but, other ones. But who who is going to read this book and then look look it up look it up and right. like look for. Uh, some kind of verification for it. Right. You know, either you believe it wholeheartedly and you just run with it, mm-hmm. or you're like us and you say this is all just ridiculous. She's just say, saying all this stuff out of her mm-hmm. butt. And I mean, I mean, I suppose we could do some research into it, but but it, it's just a fantastical sort of claim. Like mm-hmm. like there is no real evidence for it. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, but people buy into it. Yeah. I mean, as I was reading this introduction, seriously, I was a page and a half into it, and I just stopped, and I was just like, how does a sane person pick this book up and read the introduction and think, oh my gosh, this is real? <laughs> yeah. Because she she legitimately sounds crazy. She yeah. was born a psychic. She can see spirits. She can talk to spirits. She like, sounds like she should be in a mental, mental institution. If she was alive, she should be. Yeah. Seriously, like, I mean just for pure entertainment value pick up one of these books and just read yeah some of it because it, it, it's it's crazy like i i can't understand it <laughs> <laughs> yeah good grief okay so um anything else to say on sylvia brown or psychics no no okay it's kind of a fun read yeah it's kind of silly very silly <laughs> i was laughing at lunch in my car alone. yeah okay well that's our show Oh, thanks everyone for listening. <laughs> Sorry, I missed my cue. <laughs> um, remember, you can email us at skepticsquaredpodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out the show's blog at www.skepticsquaredpodcast.blogspot.com. Don't forget that you can rate us and leave a review. And we will see you next time on the Skeptic Squared Podcast. <laughs> Talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said the wrong one. I know. A couple times.